Welcome to episode 678 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 678 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz, and we are back in the studios. Back in the fridge box. Well, it's warm, warming, up warm now. It's warming up now. Put the heater on, John walks in, he just says, he doesn't say hello, he just says, turn the heater turn on. Turn that heater on, baby. <laughs> Number five this morning, I think it was. Good to be back, Bevan. Good to be back. How's the progress uh, outside Bevan's windows? We've got a house that's uh, that's nearing completion. Another one that looks like it's done. That one's done. I Snow love on the mountains. That's actually a beautifully designed house. That one that Bevan's pointing to right now. Yeah, that it's one. Very that's clever, the one he's talking about. Because from the angle we see it, John, it doesn't look like much. But if you go around the front, it's actually quite stunning. It's very private. Right. This one here, I have my questions about their design. Right. <laughs> but come around to Bevan's place so you guys can know, see what we're talking about. <laughs> here we go. Uh, John, I am talking proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance. Galactic Buffer. And our patrons. Let's name a few. Robert, give me more. We've got Jeremy. Is it? The Canadian. Canadian. Because he's, Cana- he's an Australian living in Canada. Oh, Canadian. Hopwood. Yep. And Skip Peanuts Slade. He's a good coach as well. Actually, lover, lover of triathlon, like all of you guys are. So this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. My one was a total disaster. Um, we've got an, a kind of part one of a two-part series of interviews. So what's what's happening, John? Firstly, we're going to be talking to a guy, uh, Brucey. Uh, he had a heart attack uh, last year at a race in Australia. And he's lived to tell a story. And so we're going to be talking to him about what happened to him. And then next week, we're going to be following following that up with an interview around what you guys can do you know in terms of trying to reduce your risks of uh, potentially having a heart attack in a race good times rock and roll then we've got some epic camp wrap up from john and some epic camp interviews later on the show some of the people in the camp john we've been away for a few weeks we have been doing those kind of pre-recorded shows but we did have a few results happen last weekend and over the few weeks we're away so let's look at what happened last weekend we had ironman tanelin in estonia and good to see corinne abraham still in the game uh taking that out one fairly comfortably in 8:55. she had a fairly slow run split uh but maybe she was just conserving maybe she exploded she swam 50 Nine minutes, biked a 4.39 and ran a 3.12 for an 8.55.22. 8.55's still a bloody impressive time, so good on her. Uh, and then Christian Leopold from Germany came home with a 2.53 marathon. Wow. That is seriously fast. That is awesome. Uh, so she swam 105 and biked five hours, so she was a long way down, but came home just to nip Kimberly Morrison. Oh, that's a good effort. By 15 seconds. Yeah, that's pretty impressive stuff. Now, Corinne and Kim... Both end up getting the Kona slots. And interesting, this race had two female Kona slots, and they only had eight competitors competing, and two of them didn't even finish. Six finishes, yeah. So everybody got a payday, which is which is good for them. So that was uh, last weekend, and we also had the Norseman at the weekend, um, which is now called the X- X-Try World Championships. Oh, is it? Yeah, so I guess so. Uh, to some degree, a self-proclaimed world championships, but um, yeah, uh, we had Lucy Gossage take that out. So 
for somebody who's retired from the sport, she's still doing, seems to be doing a lot of racing. And uh, winning. Yeah, obviously she is back working, so she's still racing in a professional capacity, but whilst working. Um, so she took out the females race in 11.27 from Flora Coleridge, also from Great Britain, and then uh, Norwegian Lena Marie Langsgerth in third place. Very, very close race in uh, the men's race. Uh, Hans Christian Tungsgevug from Norway. Uh, he took it out 9.59.40, only passing Alan Hovda, also from Norway, uh, in the closing kilometres to, to win by a minute and 12 seconds. Interestingly, in try247.com, they've just got a great article about Lucy Gossage and her career. And she's had 14 iron distance career wins in her career. And for the UK, she's in second place of all time. So Chrissy only had 13. Mm. And Bella Bayless had 16. Yeah. So, yeah, so. Lucy's going to, I wonder if she's going to mow down Bella. Well, it'll be interesting if she's retired, but she's still doing it, isn't she? Oh, yeah. Uh, so we had a few other races. We had Switzerland happen. John, I'll, I'll name the race. You say the result. Uh, we had Jan van Berkel taking out the race from Sven Riederer and Cyril Vinod. We had a lot of male-female races over this we period, do didn't we? this time. Yeah, yeah. Hamburg. Hamburg. Uh, the Raylert brothers were there racing. They didn't seem to succeed. Uh, Christian... Hogenhaug from Germany took it out in 8-11 from Rudy Wilde and Paul Schuster on the male side and on the female side we had Susie Cheatham taking it out by about two, two minutes over Sarah Pampiano and Julia Geiger. We had Ironman Lake Placid. Uh, Matt Russell killed it. It's a new bike course record. Apparently, it's a very long-standing bike course record held by Steve Larson. If you don't know that name, he oh. was a former pro. He was a man for a while. He always wore white, didn't he? Uh, no. Who's that? Was it Chuan? Chuan born in Bali. Yeah. So Steve Larson was an ex-cyclist, unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Oh, did he? Yeah. Um, so Matt Russell broke that course record and went on to win an 8.27 over Joe Gambles and Mark Dulison. And then in our female race, we had Ironman Canada, and there was the last time it's going to be run in Whistler. And Heather Wirtle took that out in 9.20 over Jen Arndt and Kelsey Wilthrow. Okay, going to some other news, we also had... Um, the Outdoors Long Course Triathlon, and a woman who's a pretty decent triathlete took that out. She did, so Daniela Reef took this out, but that, that was to- totally expected. And then on the male side, you had uh, um, Roman Guillaume take it oh, out. Oh, how about this? But what was interesting... <laughs> That's so the, good. So they measured the times on uh, on Outdoors, and she had the fastest bike time, beating all the males. She wow. was 20, 21 seconds faster than Roman Guillaume. And now, Roman's a good athlete. He's a good athlete. I mean, he still uh, fairly comfortably beat her. He went 6.02 compared to Daniela Reef 6.15. So it's not that comfortable. It's 13 minutes. But yeah, she was the fastest up uh, outdoors, which is kind of cool. Do you know what? If I ever make a comeback, there'd be a race I want to do. Yeah, no, it would be it would be a really fun race. It'd be an awesome race, wouldn't it? Because mm. especially, you must run up the top, do you? You must. You do. You run at the top. We did it on Epic Camp last time we were over there. So, yeah, you bike over a couple of coals uh, and you finish going up Alpe d'Huez and then you run at the top. So it's kind of a bit of a cr- mixture of cross-country running and... Or and it's a beautiful up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's lovely. It'd be an amazing race. Oh, and, and I mentioned the crowds would be awesome. I don't know. I don't know what the crowd's like, but the race sells out. It's a whole festival of events. They have a duathlon one day. They have an Olympic distance one day. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a big event. Yeah, good stuff. So well done to Daniela and Roman. Uh, we also had some other news and lots of news in this area here. So ITU has announced two age group athlete suspensions and Porno sent me through an article about this the other day and actually it was pretty interesting because unfortunately for one of them was an Australian age grouper by the name of... So Simon Thompson, he was in 35 to 39 age Stephen, group. Stephen Thompson. Stephen Thompson. Um, but unfortunately for 
Well, not for him. You know, he's, he's a cheating bastard. But he was basically trying to get to the Olympics with a visually impaired athlete for the Paralympics, mm. a guy by the name of Gerald Goosen. And um, and so his points have been disqualified. And now I think he's talking get there, but it's a lot harder path hard, right now. Yeah. You just be what a wanker. <laughs> get your hand off it. Yeah. Stephen? Yeah. Uh, there was also a guy from Portugal, Nunon Jose Pereira e Silva. Uh, he also got a suspension for positive tests at the ICU Long Distance World Champs. He finished second in the men's 40-44. I mean, we have, we've had these conversations before. I mean, I think age, dr- drug taking and age group racing is quite prevalent. Uh, and it's good that it's starting to be tested. It's, but it's good that uh, the federations are starting to test, and, uh, and I think it's fairly targeted testing. So if they get tip-offs and things like that, then they're going to follow up. So... Good on them for catching those cheats. Don't be a dickhead. Mm. That's how, that's how, we've sworn a lot today when it, when it comes to cheating. But John, there's actually another one. So Robert Breeling sent through here a positive sample. Now, I had to Google Translate this, so it might not be whatever. But Flo, uh, Florian Lehart, Lehart, uh was suspended by the Austrian uh, Doping Association for two, two positive doping yeah, tests. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lina, who has appeared in European Cup in recent years and was particularly successful in national competitions, according to the press release in the Austrian State Championship Cross Triathlon. Uh, and But basically, he did come out and say, look, I'm a cheat. So he put a post on Facebook, and I've got it here. I'll just pull it up, John, saying, because um, the article that we have here, he didn't actually want to comment in the article, but he did go on Facebook and he did make a comment and as much as he's a, he's a what is it, a wanker? Yeah. Um, he, he's, he's got, unfortunately, I have, I have to announce today that I've made a big mistake. I was tested positive for a forbidden substance in early June 2019 during the national championships. I've been taken out of false ambition. Uh, uh, I've been, it had been taken out of false ambition to take the substance. I also see in hindsight, unfortunately, only with the current distance that I've made a big mistake and disappointment to a lot of people. This has been translated, so it might not make complete sense. Uh, I would like to apologize for this and, of course, fully cooperate with the authorities. I am an athlete and I've made a mistake, but I'd like to take a looking forward approach at this difficult stage. I realised that my behaviour was not correct and I also thought a lot about it. With my current knowledge, I wouldn't make this mistake anymore and I've been thinking for a long time how I could come to it. Triathlon is, was my life and I wanted to see a little bit too much when it was going good. This is my lesson now. So at least he fronted. Exactly, yeah, exactly. At least he, because a lot of them are like, oh, oh, I ate some steak. Mm, mm. <laughs> you know? And that is the problem sometimes. Well, the, the Australian swing one's really interesting right now, isn't it? Mm, I haven't really been following that that closely, but... Well, it's, 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 well, so basically what happened was, and I'm sure a lot of people know this, an Australian swimmer would not stand on the podium with the Chinese guy who's been caught cheating, mm. been caught in the past, and basically from what I can tell, crushed his blood so that they couldn't, yeah. so he's basically going to get banned. very dodgy. Yeah, very dodgy. Um, and so he wouldn't stand on the podium, he took a stand, and it's interesting because the FINA, is it FINA, the swimmer? Yeah. Yep. They've gone and said, you know, you're going to get penalties if you do that in the past. I think if you'd like to protest, protest, mm. you know? Like, so be it. But anyway, but a girl in the Australian team's been caught for drugs. And so now it throws all the spanner in the works and, oh, dear. Don't do it, team. Back to triathlon news. Don't do it. This is this is this is a uh, this is great for Penticton. The race is Ironman Canada is sold in less than twenty four hours. So a that that's fantastic that they've got massive field, lots of people coming out of the woodwork to do it. But it does beg the question: Why don't you have to win as a challenge race? <laughs> 
you know it was a challenge race for quite a few years faded off into, into uh, yeah into it really the, never worked did it? <clears throat> never really worked and then all of a sudden it's an Ironman brand again and then all of a sudden goes oh we'll do it when it's an Ironman which I, I, I find bizarre good on them for having it back fantastic to do doing so well it is an iconic course well it's the Red a, Rocket a was a big email- part of a history of our sport Red, Red Rocket was emailing us and he was saying that because they had the I don't know if you're in some club or something like that or you I don't know you got the pre-entries and it almost sold out with that yeah yeah, so it was very popular. And this is the home of Ironman in Canada. Oh, it's going to be great. It's great. I, hopefully, I just hope that they make it a both male and female pro field. Because this year, Whistler was only the female race. Yeah. I hope that they make it a, a double again. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, just off the top of my head, I think they have, but I'm, I'm sure a little that'll come out later on. Is Elmer coming up, is it? No, Almira next year is the uh, oh, ITU okay. Long Distance World Championships, and traditionally that is held over sort of the three-quarter distance, so you, it does vary a bit from year to year, but the traditional long distance race is like the Nice distance, so it's a 4K swim, 120K bike, and 30K run, but next year it's going to Almira, and it's actually going to be held over the Iron Distance. Uh, oh, really? So that'll be interesting to see who, who rocks up for that. I wonder if they'll make it a, a less appealing field because for a lot of guys, they can do the long distance distance mm. without like damaging. Doing, yeah, like doing a half Ironman as prep for something else. Because what is it? It's 120, 30, and 3. A 3, 120. Well, it varies between a 3 or 4K swim, 120, and then 30K. Okay. Uh, and then the year after, it's going to be back. Uh, this is this is not a, a change that's going to be every year. Uh, it's just based this off this time around this time around and then next year it's the following year it's going to be in, in Townsville in Australia and then I think it'll be returning back to this sort of more regular format okay you've got coming up race Coming, I just noticed yesterday on Facebook I saw Volk of the vascular Viking Voigt is off to, uh, is off to the Cyberman five one five and I thought bloody hell what's that and it's an ultra distance race in Siberia. Whoa, looks pretty cool. Uh, so there's so many, that's one of the cool things about our sport expanding. There's just so many different destinations you can go. So it was looked like it was being held in the, obviously in Siberia but sort of near the Kazakhstani sort of border. Uh, you'd be out in the middle of nowhere. It'd be pretty damn cool. Okay, John, you've been away for a while, so nobody knows anything about ITU in this world. So let's have an ITU update of what happened when you were away. You've missed out. So they had the Edmonton round of the ITU circuit, which was a sprint distance try. Um, Thankfully, they got nice, uh, good weather. The world champs are going to be held there next year. Brownlee's back on top. Um, Jonathan Brownlee, he took that race out. uh, So good on him. Uh, Was that a surprise? Everything in the bloody males racing this year has been surprising. You know, he's there's only been one person that's won two races. Every other race has been different people, and that sort of continues here. So it's ne- certainly not the Brownlee of old, which would be dominating the race. Uh, but this is Jonathan, time. not Alison. This is Jonathan Brownlee, yep. but he won, and good on him for doing so. So, and then uh, also a massive surprise in the females race, Emma Jackson, who's just sort of on the comeback trail. She's an Australian athlete. Uh, she just looked gone for money, and then she took it out over. Um, the American girl Summer Cook what's her name Summer Rappaport she is now since she's got married so good on her but the biggest part of the news from Edmonton now how big is this it's not massively big but it is big for us New Zealand won the mixed relay now the mixed relay format uh is I've had quite a few rounds this year and the, the strength of the fields varies from race to race and I would say that a, a lot of the big hitters weren't doing the mixed relay at okay. this one but your race who's in front of you and New Zealand's never won that one of these bad boys before and they took it out we've got a very young team uh, so good on them it was bloody awesome to see we were in the a few years ago you guys will remember me talking about New Zealand being 
absolutely screwed. We've got no hope whatsoever. But now we've got um, three, three good guys and we've got several good females as well. Uh, no sort of... Well, Hayden Wilde's potentially a world champ uh, down, down the track. but Okay, so we've got someone who potentially... Not well, just... Not, not team. In the individual race, I think he got... Fourth or something like he's running with the best guys in the world. So and okay, he's a so, young fella. So for for a while there, it looked like triathlon was in trouble in New Zealand, mm. and we're like, where's the future? It seems like something's coming through. So what happened? Uh, I, th- I think like in a lot of places around the world, you've got these little training hubs of, of coaches and areas and they build up a few athletes. So uh, one of the listeners to the show, Craig Kirkwood, I know he's yep. involved with a number of these athletes that are from the, the Tauranga area. You get a little bubble of athletes coming through and they just lift the standard and everybody else sort of reaches up to that uh, a lot of these athletes have yet to prove themselves over sort of the more Olympic distance stuff so they're, they're showing really good form over sprints and Super League which is going to be the future of the sport so they might take a couple more years to mature into really good Olympic distance athletes um, but it's exciting times and I think you know um, just having those little training hubs I think is, is is massively important and you see that on the international stage as well you know a lot of these top guys are, are training together now so I think it was the Hamburg round I think the first four or five are all from one training group oh wow so it's just good for us it's oh, nice yeah. to have New Zealand's back up in the game absolutely because traditionally New Zealand have always been a strong pro triathlon country haven't they mm-hmm. Yep. You know, we haven't had deep fields, but we've always had one or two players, oh, it's haven't It's always we? been one or two, yep. yeah. Okay, uh, this week's discussion, John. So this week's discussion was an abysmal effort, and it's probably because of the way I worded it didn't help. But well, my, no, I think the thing was, you, you told people they need to listen to the show first, and then they go, oh, and then they just didn't get around to it. Yeah, so Mark Funky Brewster actually did a good job. He said... Hold on, what was the topic? So basically, what was your six whys for triathlon? And it was because a while ago, we did a question around... Similar but different, and you went really deep into why you did triathlon, <laughs> and it was kind of like to get attention, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Or to get or to feel good at something when you're a kid. Yeah. Um. And God, we all do stuff like that. And so I just I loved I loved where you went with that, and I yeah. thought it's a really good discussion to get people to actually kind of go deeper. Why do you do triathlon? Yeah. And sometimes okay, why sometimes, do you do triathlon? But why do you do triathlon? Yeah. Keep yeah. asking. And Mark Funky Brewster is a legend because he's the only person who got it and answered. So I'm going to say, not sure what exactly was meaning, Bevan was meaning by this, but here I go. Um, why did I start do triathlon? I started in 2001 at the age of 28. I played teams, number one, I t- played team sports for years, basketball, volleyball, but either others felt others weren't at my level or I wasn't at theirs. So I stopped. Why triathlon though? As a child, my, with parents that were- child. An only child with parents that worked, I was used to being on my own. So doing something like triathlon suited me. Why triathlon though? I had cycled, though not competitively, from a BMX to road bike to a mountain bike and could swim run, so thought the three sports would be mean that I could be reasonable at all of them rather than be great at one. Why triathlon? I think I would get bored with one sport. Why triathlon? Despite that, I am a creature of habit and like the fact that I can organise my week into swim days, bike days and run days. Why triathlon? Sixth time. It's the only sport in 30 plus years I've really stuck to and I want to keep doing. So I guess it's just a part of who I am. There we go. There you go. Nice work. I think I've got a much better question this week, Bevan. Well, it's very typical. Oh, topical, isn't <laughs> topical. it? Topical. Very topical. Okay, wait, wait. wait. What's, so yours is why? Uh, oh, God. Um, so number one would be I just like exercising and like pushing myself on a daily basis. Uh, number two, I like having structure into my life. Uh, number three would be, uh, I think for me, 
it's not all about racing and that's what I enjoy. It's about having the, a program to follow and seeing the improvements as I sort of work through um, a build up to a race, which is you know one of the reasons why when I did Kona, I was really pissed off that I didn't have the result that I wanted, but I was really proud of the whole build up that I did, that I got myself into the shape that I wanted to and, and it, it, that campaign had gone really, really well. I just didn't get the, the icing on top. Um, what am I up to? Number four, um, it's about the ego, you know, doing well at it. Um, I did well from pre- the first race I ever did. I think I won my, I, there was probably only two people in my age division, hey, but, I, but I won it. Yeah. And, I, and I got straight into a, a Canterbury team and got a trip paid to go to the national championships. So that success is a, is a big reason why I do it. Um, and then what else? I've sort of talked about probably getting attention when I was a kid because I was the youngest of four and again did well at, at, at sports from a young age and so are you are your other siblings sporty uh, somewhat but not yeah com- not highly competitive sport um, and what am I at number five number six so I think there was six six I just like being outside as well and and I get pissed off when I'm not um, uh, not being able to get outside it makes me feel better hmm. Bevan? When, put yourself back to when you're in your triathlon yeah. days. For me, it was um, my first why was I felt I needed a challenge mm-hmm. um, because I was doing a lot of fitness, but it was always for other people. So, and I tried a few things, and it just they were, they were, I, I did well, but I just needed a challenge. Uh, I loved the possibility it opened up in me. Like I really loved, you know, like just that whole experience especially for the first few years where it's like oh my god look, look what you've done mm-hmm. you know and it's just that kind of that potential that you see in yourself um i i like you i just love training mm. you know i just love exercise and i just love um you know and i love competing you know like even in mm-hmm. training i just love you know and not for me competing like i do like the ego hit of beating somebody but for me it's just that week you go in yourself mm-hmm. you know and like i remember one time you and i and um, oh, who's the profile goal? Ian Scott. Um, we were doing a ride and we're going down Old West Coast Road, and you were just destroying. You were killing yeah. it, and uh, and you dropped me, and 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 I mentally just I broke, and I remember just thinking, no, mate, you, you don't give up, you fight, yeah. and and I caught up, and I I don't know if I took you or not, but yeah. but but I just love that moment, mm-hmm. you know, and, I, and that's one thing I love about triathlon is that you get this opportunity almost daily to have to confront yourself, mm-hmm. um, and you don't always win that. But as long as you've got an attitude of I'm trying to move forward, then you can try to learn to win that and win it more often. Um, yet nature's important. Um, and, and you know what I think the other thing is, is it gives you the opportunity to be an inspiration in other people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you know when people look at what you do when you're a particularly when you're doing Ironman, it's surreal to other people. And one of the things I learned early in my life, I'm very fortunate in my life that I'm, I'm, allow, I'm allowed to be a leader. I'm a leader of a lot of people. Um, and I realized that at kind of the age of 30 that I'm a bit of a Pied Piper and that people seem, I seem to attract people to helping them grow. Um, and I always just thought to myself, well, what, what, an, what a responsibility that is and what an awesome thing that can be. And so with triathlon, you get this ability to be inspiration. And I've always tried to use that in a way that's not so much about just telling people how great I am, Mm. but helping people realize that they can do great things as well. And so while you you can inspire people, I really try to always put that back on them to go, oh, you know, you can do stuff like this. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, I've been very fortunate to touch a lot of people's lives in a way that's allowed them to become high levels of themselves. 
and triathlon's definitely a big part of that. So, yeah. so let's see if we can do a bit better this week, team. Okay, um, so here's the best of all time, apparently. Yeah. Now, would you want to do an epic camp? Why or why not? And where will be your number one destination? And probably the reason why I was asking this question is uh, I've interviewed everybody either during the camp, um, uh, after the camp, or before the camp, and sort of put that question to them, why, why are they here, and, and got a variety of different answers. So I'm just interested to know if it's of interest for people. I think a lot of people are um, scared of epic camps, which is, which is kind of what you want. But they kind of think that it's too much for them, and the, the type a, of it's, it, that's always a problem. But like even for our running business, we have that we have. Yeah. you know, people will get so many people tell us, "I looked at our product for two years mm. before they joined." And they come and they're fine. Yeah, and Epic Camp is an insanely hard, big challenge. But the the athletes were, you know, the, the standard of athletes, and no disrespect to them, it used to be extremely high, like pros yeah. and top 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 age groupers with the occasional straggler with the occasional straggler and now it's we've still got some really strong athletes uh, don't get me wrong but they're more often than not the athletes that have come are just there for a big challenge and they're not necessarily front front of the packers yep. they're definitely top half of the field yep. um but you don't need to be a you know a nine-hour athlete to come anymore and we had a variety of athletes and you're going to hear from some of them later on Okay, so would you like to do an epic camp? Why, why not? And we will be your number one destination. And on that, we are going to be doing our camp in Rote next year. Yeah. So if you do want to come along. Now, this is not an epic camp. It's basically a training experience leading into the race for Challenge Rote. Uh, you get a guaranteed entry to Rote. You do have to pay for that outside of the camp. Mm-hmm. But everything's covered. And it's basically your food, accommodation, planning. Everything's covered. A great bunch of people Awesome experience and actually really reasonably priced. I can't remember exactly what it is, but basically it's going to be cheaper. I, it's almost cheaper than what if you went by yourself. And and I was talking to somebody on the camp. I think it might have been George, uh, who you're going to hear from, or you might have already heard. Yeah, from we him. heard from George every day. Yeah, and like he went and did wrote by himself. It's still a cool experience, yeah. but logistically it's a bit of a challenge. And he said, yeah, definitely. And we had a number of athletes on the camp that had done wrote as well. We're going to hear from David, I think today, and Pete Thorthouse. Yeah, they've been there. So if there's any sort of endorsements, athletes that keep coming back, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's just so much less stressful when you're just rock up and, and, and you know the race you've pretty much done the whole course before race day camaraderie it's just it's all you know kind of when we think about triathlon these camps kind of represent all the good stuff for triathlon so check it out and go to www.imtalk.me uh, you want to sign up soon because we need to be confirmed yep, soon so yeah so get onto it John sponsor extreme endurance it is your lactic buffer it is indeed but and we're going to talk about something else it is well it buffered my lactate during epic camp and I had people knocking on my door have you got any more extreme endurance no, nice. <laughs> you're like go see your dealer I was, I was counting out my pills going you can have that many you can have that many I've got to make sure I've got enough for myself uh, massive uh, massive helps us through through the camp uh, but they has, have also got a new product out at Extreme Endurance it's called Collagen Plus Greens uh, so it's grass fed collagen slash organic superfood greens it's a two in one product that combines the best of both worlds to promote healthy skin hair nails and joint support who doesn't want that with powerful antioxidants to promote health and wellness so uh, check it out on xendurance.com I talked about it a few weeks ago um, and it's, uh, they've got the green packaging everything they, they do work, do well on their packaging and extreme endurance. It all looks nice and funky. Do you know what, John? If you're doing products, green is always represents health. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is the collagen plus greens. Yeah. So go get yourself healthy. And also, we had an email in from Mike Parrott. He said, "I was listening to your interview with the guy from X Endurance about their new sleep product, CBD." 
uh, deep sleep and CBD oil is a controlled substance in New Zealand and Australia. You need a doctor's prescription to possess it. Uh, you would need to clarify, could you clarify that with extreme endurance if it is legal to purchase it online Great question. and have it delivered to Australia and New Zealand? Because I know that um, good old Em from Em's Power Cookies, she was coming out with a hemp cookie and was having to wait until, I'm not oh, sure okay. she's been able to bring it out now or not but it's either she was on One News last night as well yeah. oh the one night uh, what's news yeah. what was she on it for um, there's flooding on the west coast and there's a there's oh. a, a dump site that's getting yeah, exposed of course. Yeah. she was on there she's a counselor apparently <laughs> look so at him Em's Power Cookies <laughs> go check that out uh, and I got a reply from the guys at Extreme Endurance great question we do ship our products uh, to New Zealand and Australia so yes an order can be placed and it will get shipped what I can't answer is the laws in those countries and customs and that applies around the world if they open boxes and look in them or hold them for any reasons. Um, so I know somebody in Christchurch who's purchased purchased it and it came through no dramas. So I guess it is uh, at buyer's risk as to whether or not uh, yeah. it gets stopped. But from the feedback I've been getting, it's the product's working really, really well. Um, and I think the laws are just trying to sort of catch up. So... Yeah. We live in interesting times, we do. John, John, we've got an interview coming up with a guy oh, called... Exendurance.com. Oh. Check it out. Check, check, check it out. We've got um, Graham Bruce had a heart attack in a race, a, a pretty t- well, a top, top end age group athlete. Uh, wouldn't have expected to have a heart attack and unfortunately did. It's a pretty interesting story and he's a pretty good character. So here is Graham right now. Okay, guys, so we had an email um, in from Ian at the Blade Blakelock a little while ago because I was mentioning on the, the show, you know, there'd been, a, unfortunately, another case of a, a couple of deaths in a, in a race, and I'd sort of posed the question that whether or not um, race organisers could screen athletes um, uh, for, for heart-related issues, and probably not really realistic, but uh, he sort of sent in a story about uh, a guy we're going to hear from now, Brucey, um, Graham Bruce, and he actually had a heart attack at a race um, after the race, or directly after the race uh, in New South Wales and Australia. Thankfully, he survived the, um, the incident and, uh, and he's here to talk to us. And I guess one of the things we wanted to put, push across is that Bruce, he's not, not, certainly not a first-timer. Um, he's been a fifth, uh, an age group world champion at 70.3 distance. He's uh, got on the, the podium in Kona, um, the 50 to 54 age group. He's done all sorts of stuff in Australia in terms of surf life saving and also swum like the Cook Strait in New Zealand and, and, uh, and I think the Channel over in Australia. So, um, yeah, Brucey, welcome along to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, you, you've, you know, you've had a, a really competitive uh, sporting background so for people around the world that don't know about surf lifesaving um, that's a really big sport in Australia uh, very competitive you go out and you do kayaking you do board paddling swimming uh, and running on the beach it's uh, high intensity stuff um, so maybe tell us how you sort of came from I guess your more swimming surf lifesaving background and, and what sort of got you into triathlon I was back in um, 1982 and I was watching um uh, Hawaii, Kona on TV, and I said, one day I want to do that, and uh, I go, that's on my bucket list, and also um, Swim English Channel, and I uh, decided to Swim English Channel first, and then uh, got around to doing triathlons, and I've been doing that for about 20 years now, get over 20 years. It, I don't want to dwell um, too much on the, I'm always fascinated by people that swim the English Channel and, and sort of comparing it to triathlon. You, you're obviously a top, top swimmer and, and normally come out uh, right towards the front, so some people might not be able to appreciate you know what it's like for a, for a mid packer to swim the channel, but but what was that experience like, and and how long did it take, and, and what were some of your big challenges when you swam the channel? Yeah, the um, the, I I, t- 
I'll try to think of it as the English Channel in, is like an achievement thing. You swim from point A to point B. Uh, you could be the fastest swimmer in the world, but if you don't have the conditions uh, on the day, um, you won't do a fast time. And, um, yeah, you know, it was, just, uh, it was just a goal of mine. A friend of mine, John Curry, he, he was the um, second Australian to do it and the first Australian male, and he got me into marathon swimming, open water swimming, and decided, right, I want to do that. It's just something to do, and it's, um, it's actually quite a very – lonely swim but you also have your team boat your team boat next to you with your supporters on it and it's actually quite hard for them during the day because they're just sitting there for 10 and a half hours 11 hours whatever the case may be and um yeah it was it was a good swim mm. i mean it was uh it's very tidal you're, you're 1.8k one stage with 1.8k off calais and two hours and 20 minutes later i hit the beach and normally i'd swim <laughs> 1.8k in 30 minutes but you just get dragged down the coast because of the tides it's like the center of an hourglass. Yeah, yeah. In many ways, is that, does that make you know, like in an Ironman, you see the finish line, you know what you're doing. Whereas in that, it, it's kind of a completely different mental challenge, then, isn't it? Yes, that's it. You know, in an obviously an Ironman triathlon, you've got those, uh, you've got the finish line, you've got all the people uh, coming running towards you, or running, um, or you're passing people, and you see the facial expressions, and it keeps you all interested. Whereas uh, open water swimming, it's a fairly lonely sport. You know, when you're, when you're just throwing the arms over and you, you think a lot when you're training and you think a lot when you're actually doing the race as well or the swim. Mm. So um, prior to, prior to your, your heart attack that you had, um, maybe sort of paint a picture of, you know, how much you trained um, and how much intensity and, and stuff that you did uh, on, a, on a weekly basis. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I've just done a fairly good two-week block training for Port Macquarie. Um, I really wanted to, normally when I do uh, Port Macquarie Ironman, Australian Ironman titles, um, it's at the end of our summer, I'm fairly heavily involved in Manly Life Saving Club, so I'm generally only about 80% conditioned for that race because you're standing on the beach after, you know, for five, six hours after you do a 150k ride, so it's not ideal for your legs mm. and your um, mm. your calves and ankles, etc. I had a good training block. Trained Thursday morning, worked for 24 hours at the fire station, then went and did a few chores and then drove out there. So to Orange is where, where the actual New South Wales Club champs were. I had a um, – my, my wife, Carolyn, she came with me and I made her come with me that year because it was a pretty drive out there last year going through Windsor and that and made the mistake and took the wrong turn off and we actually didn't even go through Windsor. We went through Penrith. And um, – it was more of a social thing, you know, because to me, my main goals are the Australian titles and, and Kona, yeah. and um, it was more a club social thing for me. And we got there, and rather than go and do all the normal things, I do pre-race and get some electrolyte drinks and just sit down and calm down. I um, We were staying at the pub, came downstairs, and there was 15 to 20 of the teammates were there. So we sat down and had dinner with them, and bearing in mind it was all social. Mm. Then the mm. next morning, woke up, felt fairly dehydrated and I don't know if it's because of what I've done previously in the couple of days um we went to a cafe I don't really have that much uh, to eat before a race that's uh, just why I've been programmed from when I used to swim for two hours uh sessions when I was nine through to 16 you don't eat back then you didn't have electrolyte drinks you didn't have anything you didn't even have water at the side of the pool it was just get in and swim so um went and had breakfast didn't have that much then went to the race venue I went and scouted the course because I'm sort of like uh, I have a little briefing with all our club mates. We generally get around about 80 to 100 club members to the race venue and um, told them what the course would be. And um, it was that site at Orange where 
there's no town water there, so you had to bring your own. So I know I didn't have a lot of water on me, and that sticks back in my mind that I was fairly dehydrated before the start of the race. And, yeah, then the, the gun went off and started the swim league. So. so to talk us through the incident, talk us through what actually happened in the race and post-race and, you know, tell us about the experience. All right, um, okay. Uh, with the swim leg, it goes off. I was in the 50-plus age group, and I actually I think I did the fastest swim over everyone on that day. So I swim by myself, and you catch up to um, age groups before you pass them. Came out and um, ran through transition, got to my bike, and I could not get my wetsuit off my legs because I was unshaven. It wasn't a, a major, major race for me. So I was unshaven and I distinctly remember that it took me, or well, it took two and a half minutes to get my wetsuit off. Everyone else was taking a minute, minute 15. Mm. And I had to stop four times because I was that, that physically tired getting my wetsuit off, trying to strain to get it off because I only wear it three times a year. Mm-hmm. You know, I. Like you said, I, you know, like I, I know how to swim. I, I'm used to swimming in six to eleven degree water. I never wear my wetsuit unless it's a wetsuit swim. So it never really stretches as you would have a um, normal wetsuit that you, you'd wear every once to uh, two times a month. Couldn't get it off. Finally got it off. Jumped on the bike, and as soon as I got on the bike, I had these massive pains down my chest and underneath my left ribs, and. I was riding behind a guy called Joey from the hills, and Joey's a lot better cyclist than me, but I'd ch- gone to shorter cranks, and uh, I was actually in a really good um, conditioning for cycling, and I'm riding along, and uh, I had this massive pain. I just took, I just thought it was windpipe burn, and from, for you know, because I've been training for a nine-and-a-half-hour race, not for an hour-and-a-half higher-intensity race, so... After 3K of the bike leg, went, went past my wife. She was a marshal on the side of the road. I said, hi, Kaz, how you going? And I'm be riding behind Joey, legally, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, he kept looking around because he normally catches me at about 25K mark in a 30K bike ride. And he's looking around and he's going, gee, Bruce, he's keeping up with me because I am a better runner than him. And, uh, and he's looking around. I'm, I'm going, oh, hi, Joey, how you going? And cycling <laughs> along. And then um, – then we got to about 10, 11 K mark and we had to do a, a right-hand bend and there was a cyclist from the age group in front and he just put me off my rhythm a little bit and the pain in my chest was really, really bad. And I, looking back on it now, I felt like my heart was beating 250 minute, beats a minute. Mm. Um, I, backed mm. the, I backed the cycling off a bit, the intensity, and I, I thought to myself, Joey, I'll see you on the run leg. Um yeah, because I like to have a bit of fun when we're racing. You know, you touch touch people on the ass, you have a little bit of a joke, and um, yeah, because it's all fun out there. That's that's what I think. It's just mm. all fun. And then um, I still rode hard, got off the bike, started running, and I hadn't run for four weeks on the road because I've had a soft tissue injury in my lower leg. So I just do a lot of water running, and I was running pretty pretty quick because I was catching one of the guys in the forty five forty nine age group from my club who went to Hawaii five months earlier with me. And um, I was going, okay, right now, this is all right, I'm running, okay. Um, the pain wasn't as bad in my chest at that stage because I'd backed the intensity off at about that 10, 11K mark on the bike leg. And we came to the first hill, and, and I'm a pretty good hill runner. I'm, I'm only five foot seven, I'm about 65 kilos, and um, I love hills, you know. And ran up the first hill, and I got to the top, and it felt like my lungs were only half the size that they should be. And I remember thinking, like, oh, gee, I'm not as fit as I thought. I was, okay, right, I'm going to have to really knuckle down in the next six weeks. 
And I kept running, but it just felt like I could not get enough oxygen into my body. I backed off the pace a bit. Um, teammate passed me about halfway mark of the 8K run. And then um, he was going to get maximum points. I was just going to be a blocker. So and you know where your other people from other clubs, the way the point score system works, you know where they are on the course. It's right. I'm not going to gain anything. I'm not going to lose anything across the line. And I've gone, my main thought was just my, my calf. Okay, I've got to just ice it. So I crossed the line. The announcer's gone. Oh, he's Brucey. How's the calf hold up? Gave him the thumbs down. Went and grabbed some watermelon, some ice, walked the 30 metres back to my tent, sitting down, icing my leg, going, right, okay, we're six to eight weeks out from Port Macquarie Ironman. How am I going to handle this? You know, just putting all these scenarios in my head in regards to training and, okay, water running. And then um, talking to my club mates, a friend of mine, Graham Larder, he had a heart attack uh, 14 years prior, and he'd been doing the triathlon sports. Uh, he does Ironman every year. He's an Ironman legend there. And he um, he was three feet away from me, talking to him about his race. The wife came after 10 minutes. So this is an hour and 40 after I had the initial pain in the chest. Uh, I stood up and I said to my wife, I said, look, Kaz, let's go back to the hotel. I can get two hours lying down before we go to our team function because it only takes my pretty face about, you know, two minutes to get ready, you know, like <laughs> I'm just naturally beauty, beautiful, you know. <laughs> and then um, we've uh, – I said, look, you put the ice in my bag. I'll go get the bike from transition. Now, from transition to where the cars were parked in a paddock, because it's all country there at Orange, um, that's what, it was a 300-meter walk through open bushland. So I said, Carolyn, Kaz, you go and put the ice in my bag. I'll go get the bike out of transition. Next thing I know, I've bent over, and I'm right on the edge of the run course. So I've bent over. I saw my ankles. Next thing, it's dark. For a second with movement of my arms and legs and, and voices and I open my eyes and there's an ambo on left and right of me. There's all my teammates standing about two metres around behind them with a big tarp around me and I'm just looking at their faces and like I am now, I'm just talking to you and, um, yeah, on my right-hand side, there's a friend of mine, Gary Tall, who's an air ambulance retrieval doctor and I'd seen him finish the race you know, because they have to run past our club tent to go to veer off to the finish. And I said, Gary, what's happening? He goes, Brucey, you've had a heart attack. Take this aspirin. Uh, you've got a blocked artery. And I'm going, oh, okay. Go Ringer, because I'm in Ringer Tri Club. Go Ringer, because I was fine. You know, like I'm a bit of a joker, have fun and all that type of stuff. And a minute later, I was in the ambulance and uh, Gary's there. And I said, Gary, where's Carolyn? And she goes, oh, she's in the front. I said, hey, Kaz, how you going? I'm, I'm, I feel fine. I mean, like I am now talking to you guys. And Gary said he'd uh, organised for the, uh, the the air ambulance chopper to come to the hospital if required. Mm. With with my case, mm. uh, in New South Wales, there's two hospitals that have a cath lab that can do that procedure, and that's there's two hospitals west of the Great Dividing Range to do country New South Wales, which is a massive, massive area. And I was 1.5K away from one of them, and Gary, he knows – they have an on-call 24-7 team there, and he talks to them all the time because he sends a helicopter there all the time. So, yeah, so I was in the AMBO at 327, 328. I had a standing by 419. Nice. That was it. So how serious was that sort of period, you know, when you when you woke up again? Was it critical, that, that sort of time between when you woke up to actually getting the stent, and was that a really critical time to, for it to be as short as possible? 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's obviously like, if I was in Sydney, I don't think I would have had it done any quicker. Mm. Um, yes, to me, yeah, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but obviously it helps. Uh, I think one of my – I was lucky I, I did not crash on the bike. I was going 52K at some stages. You know, you crash, no one could find you probably 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, especially if you've got no one around you. Um, it was it was critical, yes. Um, you know, I try not to think about what is what – what could have been and you know this is what happened i have to deal with it um i've had someone even the other day talk to me and they said look you only survived because you were so fit i said yeah i know i think that was you know what happened i was very lucky fortunate i I shouldn't be here they shocked me um a couple of times at the venue they shocked me on the table um when i was still semi-conscious um you know, the nurse was walking around my left leg, around the monitor, and oh, she's still he's still conscious. And as she said conscious, I got zapped again, and <laughs> I spoke to the cardiologist. And um, there you go. I said, how come I got shocked again? Was there an issue? He goes, no, nah, look, when we – this is, you know, because it's a natural thing. They, they do it every all the time, you know. No, nah, when we pull out all the stuff through your artery, um, your rhythm was going. It can affect your rhythm, so we just zapped you again. You were going to go unconscious, so we just zapped you. But, um, yeah. <laughs> That was an experience, so, yeah. What was it like? You know, you're an athlete, your identity, you achieve big fitness goals, you're fit. Yeah. Kind of identity-wise and emotionally, what was it like? It was um, it's sort of like Rams at home. I mean, you, you, you think, like, you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't eat crappy food, you, you train. Um, yes, I train all the time, but I only really focus for a, an Ironman race three months out. And, you know, like, well, my attitude is 12, 12 weeks and seven weeks out because you're always at a fairly high level and, mm. um, fair, you know, fairly high level conditioning. And also you just got to keep mentally aware of, you know, as you get older, you're getting, you know, your muscles get weaker. You've also got to be aware, like, okay, you've got to have other aspects of your life, social, family, um, sporting clubs that you're involved in, etc. I was, um, you know, I was, I was... Yeah, it was just really around home that yeah you are, you know, you are going to die at some stage. Um, I always thought like I ride with a group of guys on the northern beaches here in in um, Sydney, and we're we're up at two thirty training at three o'clock in the morning to get all our quality work done, just so you know we're not doing it at five thirty six o'clock when there's a lot more traffic on the road. You know, we do it that early because we can hear the cars, you can see them. And there's not as many cars on the road. So, you know, it was a really hit home that, right, okay, I could die at any stage. So I, um, you know, I did Port Macquarie this year. Every, every race that I've done since then, which has only been a couple, I, I don't go max effort anymore. Uh, I'm fully aware of my um, uh, where I am at. And I don't want that to happen, not for a number of years, you know, quite a number of years, hopefully. But um, yeah, it's 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 a uh, when all of a sudden you get hit with like yeah you were dead, you're going to die at some stage. You're not going to live. There's no guarantee you're going to live to 80 or 85, which you thought might happen. Um, yeah, it's it's you know there's those mental things you have to deal with. Yeah. So b- before before the before it happened, you know, knowing what you know now about heart conditions, etc., um, were there any yep. warning signs at all for you? Um, you know, you mentioned a few things on the race morning. You're a bit dehydrated, etc. But prior to that, were, were, looking back, was there anything that could have given you any clues that this might have happened? Uh, no, no. The the only thing 
was that I was dehydrated. My life was pretty pretty full on, you know, like in regards to training, um, community commitments with the, the Manly Lifesaving Club, with work, with family and, um, you know, I tend to rush a little bit more. Now I, I try not to. I take it a bit more easy. But, yeah, it was only just I felt just dehydrated. That was it. I had no pains anywhere else. I was I was straining. Um, you know, I, 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 I am in New South Wales or Fire Rescue New South Wales now have been for 13 years but prior to that I was a lifeguard and I have a lot of friends who are lifeguards on the northern beaches and even over summer there was a gentleman he had a heart attack at Manly at Andrew Boy Charlton pulled down at Manly he just done weights mm. you know so mm. you know my I've had an angiogram obviously on the day of the uh the heart attack they my arteries are good you know, there's only a little bit of like what you expect in a 54-year-old down the end of one little root system, you know, not enough to um, kill you. So, but, yeah, I was lucky. I, yeah. So, so what's your, your – if you sort of talked about maybe not taking it quite as hard with, with your racing now, yeah. um, maybe talk us through the recovery process that you had to go through between, um, you know, day one when it happened to, to being able to do, an, do another Ironman, maybe, you know, how long it took to get back into it and, and what the doctors were saying and, and I guess whether you followed that or not. Yeah, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, what the doctors were saying. Um, yeah, I've, I've had two cardiologists. They want me to do sprint races rather than the longer races. They're more concerned about the dehydration. Oh. So, you know, because you know, your blood thickens up and it's rougher and um, – so now I have three bottles on a, on, on a bike. I mean, only ever normally have three bottles when I do Kona. Most of the, all the other Sydney races, I just generally have two. Now I have three. Uh, straight after the, the heart attack, so it was on a Saturday afternoon, that on the Monday I had a, um, an ultrasound done of my heart and the, the, the person who came and did it, he goes, you know, because your mind's thinking, you're going, right, okay, right, okay. I'm alive now. Is there any damage to your heart's and muscle? Is there any damage? And I said, oh, how is it? He goes, look, you're not 100%, but you're not 99% either. And I've gone, oh, okay. He goes, oh, the cardiologist will talk to you later about it. I'm going, okay, so I'm only less than 1% damage. Okay, right, I can live with that. I mean, I will live because the heart's beating, but, I mean, you're always trying to go as best you can with the body that you have, you know. You know, if you've got a, you know, a gummy leg, you can only run five minutes per K or six minutes K, right? Deal with that rather than trying to run at 3.30. Um, the cardiologist came in and said, yeah, look, no damage to your heart. It'll all repair. It's that, that part of damage there, that's fine. It's not an issue. You'll be as you were before in regards to the damage to the heart muscle. It's all fine. Going great, fantastic. Then it's just like, right, okay, I've just got to get back in. Because they did CPR on me and they did it for – you know, obviously close to 15 minutes taking off the time for to get shocked a couple of times. Um, Gary came, Gary Tall, he came over and grabbed my wife. She was doing mouth-to-mouth because they were doing CPR within 30 seconds. Mm. I went down. Mm. Everyone thought I'd fainted onto the run course and it was a hard surface. And they put me in a recovery position. Oh, oh shit, no pulse. Right, not breathing, CPR. So the wife started mouth-to-mouth, um, Chris Harmer and Matt Tonkin from the uh, Tri Club, they started doing CPR. I had other friends around me. Gary 
was 30 metres away. He's come over, and from my understanding, he did about five, Carolyn did about five breath cycles on me. He's grabbed Kaz. You don't need to do that. He started doing mouth-to-mouth, had people lined up, and then another um, doctor, Daniel Pattinson from Bathurst Tri Club, she was running past, and I can help. And Gary's gone, that's all right, we've got it covered in between doing breaths. And she goes, no, I'm an ER doctor. They do that every day. That is their bread and butter, especially emergency doctor at Bathurst Hospital, whereas air retrieval doctors, they're more, they know everything about the body. Mm. So she took over. She gave the guys a lot of confidence in their depth compressions and that, and Gary was on the phone to the chop, uh, to the hospital. Well, my ribs were annihilated. My ribs and cartilage were terrible. I did not sleep for close to four weeks, um, and then up until 11 and a half weeks, I was in sharp pain. Uh, my cartilage, uh, especially either on either side of my spine, and every day it just got a fraction better, you know, a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller. And then overnight, it was a Wednesday night at 11 and a half weeks, it went from a sharp pain to a dull pain. And then I could go, oh, this ain't too bad. I can actually breathe and I can move. And for, for about six weeks, I had a rope at the end of my bed to help lift me up out of bed. Um, I couldn't even like jolt myself a little bit. Um, at the So that was that in regards to the ribs and cartilage. And that didn't really stop until... 18, 19 weeks marks at the week mark, um, and then a little bit um, underneath my heart region, lower rib cage. I it hasn't. It was always hurting because you start back training, you're working your muscles, your muscles are attached to your skeletal system, you're breathing, you're on a bike. Um, it hasn't had that six weeks of just total rest. So it's had that now because I've had a shoulder operation uh, ten weeks ago. So um, which I always knew was going to happen. Then um, with getting back into training for the first, well, on a Saturday, the heart attack, we came back to Sydney on the Wednesday. Thursday, I went for a walk with my wife up to the, the shops up the road and I uh, just started increasing my walking up to two and a half hours. Um, anyone who does the sport consistently, they might have had to do walking because of some type of injury or whatever. Um, walking's not an exercise to me. Like it doesn't achieve me get my heart rate up and and stuff like that. It's 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 just a means to get from point A to point B. At um, seven and a half weeks, I started swimming in the pool just by myself with um, at the Ringo Aquatic Centre where I swim at. I was just doing twenty five meters stop, twenty five meters stop, and I had to be aware because I I was just basically just getting my arms thrown over because my ribs were still terrible. Mm. So it was just a bit of range of movement with the swimming, build it up, 300 metres, then 300 became four. And every time I swam, I just did an extra 100, 200 metres. And as the pain subsided in the ribs, uh, I just did a bit more. I, I swim with the wets, uh, sorry, with the pool boy now, pool boy now when I actually swim with the squads because even though I've got the muscle endurance, I just don't have that cardiovascular because you know i'm 50 coming up to 55 soon you know and i'm swimming with kids who are 16 through to or, you know, some of them are 14 through to 25 so fully aware of um i can't be doing the explosive hard in high intensity efforts but if it's a 3k main set and you've got to tick over at one you know 18 cycle i can do that you know but i'm not going to do anything at 111 like we used to yeah, so. so, what was it like when you lined up at your first race? You know, on on your comeback. Um, I've actually my first race was actually Western Sydney, 
half Ironman, and I didn't wear the wetsuit. I was only going to do the swim bike component because I was just break it up. I'll do swim bike, not do the run because I'm not ready to do a run off the bike. And I've had consistently little issues with my calves, very various parts of my, my, my lower legs. So the swim leg, I did not wear a, a wetsuit. And I've gone off with guys that I normally in that 1.9K swim in my 50-plus age group, I'll beat them by a minute. Well, I started off swimming and then I'm going, oh, gee, I'm going pretty hard here and I'm just trying to keep up with these guys. Hang on, I don't have a wetsuit on. You back it off. So I backed it off. Um, they beat me by a minute, get out, get on the bike. And I actually rode really well, you know, um, because if anything, my riding's actually gotten better because I'm more consistent pacing with my riding rather than spiking it. Yeah. So that first one there was um, swim bike. And I went to, uh, you know, because it's all about getting information about your body, how it's going to um go under stress and you want to have information so you can let the cardiologist know as well and i remember going back to the medical tent after i finished the bike leg and i said they're all sitting around waiting for everyone to come in at the end of the run legs and i said uh, hey guys how you going all right and they're looking at me oh what's wrong i said look i had a heart attack um six months ago and all of a sudden they were pissed. what you know, I was sitting here and I said, no, 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 I'm all right. I just want to get my blood pressure taken so I can see, say, all of a sudden it's a big deal, you know, blood pressure. You okay? Yes, everything's fine. And I had to get the clearance to go in that race to begin with. And uh, everything was fine. And then just sat around and talking with all the guys from, you know, who were at the club champs who'd finished the races. I was sitting there talking to them afterwards. And, you know, because that's the social side of things when, you you know, you're in the um, recovery area. Went and did Huskisson down, um, which is just just uh, Sydney, and it's a great got various distances. And again, I couldn't do the whole run leg, so I go, well, I've got to do a long ride. So I just rode 150 around the course. You know, where where could you go ride 150k with an aid station and the road closed? So I just kept and swim uh, with a wetsuit on, but I made sure I cut the lower legs. And I made uh, took it off very slowly. I did shave the lower part of my legs and put all the, the wetsuit on. Swam, you know, just swam like I had been training because, again, I'd been training for months in the pool and I was getting up to, you know, fairly well where I used to be. But never 100% effort. And the bike riding, I just, just, yeah, just rode 150k. My actually first run was when we went and did Club Champs this year. You know, which was back to orange, but it wasn't a it wasn't a swim leg because of the drought. We've had this really bad drought on uh, the east coast of Australia, and the swim the lake that they swim in, Lake Condola, uh, had shrunk uh, about twenty five meters, so it just wasn't viable to have the swim leg there. So they started off with a k run to begin with, and then a thirty five, and then an eight k run. Then I go right, I'm just going behind everyone in my age group, which is fifty plus. And I let everyone go, and then after 400 metres, you're just jogging. And I just ran past quite a few people, but uh, not to the level that I would normally do. Uh, got on the bike and rode the way I've been training, you know, with a heart rate monitor and everything. I don't do anything now without a heart rate monitor. Before, I used to just go off my breathing. And then got off of my last run leg, and I just uh, jogged out the 8K and just made sure I had fun with people because, you know, people knew, A, who I was and what had happened. And... For myself and my wife, it was very important that we went there and showed people that, hey, you know, 
we're alive. I'm alive, and um, thanks for all your help. And uh, sorry, I shocked people a year before, you know, because it's quite stressful if you're not used to um, seeing someone being worked on and, and dying, which you know I've been exposed to since I've been 18 as a lifeguard but, and also fire brigade. But for us, some other people, you know, they see the look on their faces. It's it's um, that's the hardest thing for me, you know, looking at back and watching their faces. Yeah. And then it was to Aussie titles this year. Um, at, at port, fantastic. So, fantastic. Uh, yeah, so uh, look, um, it's been an amazing story, Brucey. And, and I guess probably the final question I've got for you is you know, just any advice you've got for, for other people. You know, you, you're a competitive athlete, um, you've, you've been so for a long time, so you know, yep. we're, we're going to be talking to um. One of your colleagues uh, next week. We're going to talk to Jeff Myers, who's a doctor. But you know, just yep. from from your point of view, what what advice would you have for for athletes that are, I guess, fifty plus or even forty plus in terms of what they can do to maybe prevent, possibly prevent what happened to you? Um, go get checkups. I had a stress test done a year and a half before. It showed nothing. You know, um, be aware of hydration. You know, that that is a big factor. Be aware we are getting old. I mean, a lot of our things, and Ironman to a lot of people is um, is an achievement thing. It's a, it's a, you know, a race was an achievement sort of thing. I've covered this amount of distance. Uh, it can happen to anyone. It, it happened to a really good friend of mine, Dean Mercer. It's happened to some high-profile footballers who are fit. Because you're fit on the outside doesn't mean you're fit on the inside. And if that means getting an angiogram done or a calcium scoring test um, or even just a stress test, just, just be aware of it. You know, don't think it's you're just going to die of old age. You know, heart attack, it happens. You know, there's people there I know that have been 30 years of age that have had heart attacks. So it's out there and just just beware. And when you're in a race, if you don't feel 100% to begin with, just ask yourself, do you really, really, really need to do with this race, you know? Mm. Um, you know, because like, you know, like to me, the, the dying bit was easy bit. The hard bit's been seeing every one of my friends afterwards and the impact it's had on them and we're making them uh reassuring them that look i'm okay i'm, I'm not flogging myself like i used to so, yeah awesome bruce well thanks for your time yeah and, what a story uh, and i know you've uh, you've been up early and, and you get up early you sent me a message before we did the interview and he'd been up since uh, 2 50 a.m or something so awesome story i know you're an inspiration to a lot of uh, a lot of the folk in your neck of the woods so thanks for your time and hopefully your experience we can uh, share with others and hopefully a few other people can go out there and get themselves checked out to to avoid it so thanks again for your time okay that's sweet thanks guys thank you thanks mate yeah it is, it is funny, isn't it? I, I always promote my healthy magic, and I'm about yep. to go for I'm turning 42 in about two weeks, mm-hmm. so I'm going to book that in the next couple of weeks. And it is that thing, you know, we we look healthy to the outside, yeah. but you've got to, you know, these, and we've got another interview coming up next week with a guy called Dr. Jeff Mears, and he is going to talk a little bit about some things that we want to be aware of as triathletes, and he's going to give us some recommendations, and take his recommendations and do it, mm. you know, because... We care about health and fitness, um, and we prioritize it a lot. And we look at how much money we spend on triathlon, mm-hmm. you know, to spend a bit of money to go to a doctor and just get those little checks done. Um, like even a couple of years ago, about, about 18 months ago, I had a bit of a heart thing. Yeah. So, flutter. Yeah, yep. it wasn't even a heart. It was more just like a, I'm not sure what it was, but I went to ACG. I was fine. Yeah. But you just want to get on top of these things because nowadays, you know, we do put our bodies through a lot. 
I agree. And, and I'm a, again, I've been a lifetime athlete and it sort of certainly makes me think about going and getting it done as well. Mm. And from a race organiser's point of view, I've got to bloody invest in a... I mean, I always have a medic on site and whether or not sometimes... Defibrillator. Yeah, defibrillators and stuff. Yeah, certainly makes you think. How much do they cost? Not, not cheap. No, but... Yeah. yeah. Okay, John Winger of the Week. John Newsom, where'd you get? I didn't. Because we were so far on, I didn't... Uh, it was the week before last, oh. I think I was up there. I think I got to number two. Seth was beating me, so he won the yellow jersey on the camp and he out-trained me, definitely in terms of hours, but I think I got up to number two. Oh, but dirty no, dog. No, I think I got logged all my stuff up there. This week, however, or last week, however, uh, the Winger of the Week... Give me a number, Bevan. I'll, I'll give a love. Roman Garcin was uh, first. Uh, he was in 34 I'm hours. Say, I'm going to say... 44 44 why 44 because Steve Smith killed the Poms mm. and to be honest I'd normally prefer the Poms to beat the Aussies in the cricket but because the Poms totally unfairly won the Cricket World Cup yeah I still haven't gotten over this John if I think about it I still get upset <laughs> yeah. it's my one sporting loss as a fan that I don't think I'll ever get over uh-huh. you know because yeah. we didn't lose we didn't lose we didn't we didn't lose but Steve Smith scored 144 and then 142, which is an amazing effort if you know much about the story behind that. So 44, who is it? Carl Bonner did 15 hours and 23 minutes. Uh, three hours, 17 swim, did 10 hours on the bike and one hour, 55 on the on the run. So nice work, Carl. Carl's got a big old uh, big old beard on him. <laughs> big old beard. Okay, yeah. yep, nice. And oh, last week he did a PR on the... On the OZ6, three minutes 31 for that. Um, where's he from? Team EN. And Carl, side-by-side side comparison for me, the last four weeks, my average distance is quite good. I think I'll smoke everybody on that, so it's probably not a very good uh, comparison. But Carl has done more distance this year than me. He's done 6,595 kilometres. It's a good, good effort. A, what do you reckon the most you've ever done in a year? This can probably tell me somehow, but I'm, uh, I've am i got absolutely no idea, Bevan. Absolutely no idea. 20,000? Uh, don't, don't know. Don't know. Don't even know. It's several thousand last couple of weeks. So. Okay, John. Epicamp review. Let's do Epicamp review, John. You went over to France. You wrote a blog, but you're going to do an update. Well, you know, not everybody's on Facebook, so if you do, there was a, we had a few athletes that were blogging, uh, and we had links on the Epic Camp Facebook page, so if you want to find out um, links and, and nice, pretty pictures about what we did, we basically started in a place called Bayaritz on day one. Now, we, we st- <laughs> I went out to the, the, the venue, we were going to have an aquathon on the day one, and a couple of days before, beautiful setting, it was yep. perfect, there was this lovely long beach. Could have been better. Could have been better, there was this big big kick-ass rock about 250 metres off the beach and I said right we're swimming around that rock went down there with uh, I think it was Pete Thou- Thor- Thorthaus did a bit of a recon sweet it's all good water's uh, not too bad it's lock it in Eddie lock it in Eddie go down there on uh, first day of camp turn up there's these waves just pumping it in. And then there's a sign there that I had not seen previously. And uh, Ian from Pyrenees Multisport said, yeah, did you see the sign? It says uh, uh, swimming interdit around the rock. So it was actually illegal to swim around the rock. And so we had to quickly change tack a little bit. And we we had a pretty rough water swim. And guys were getting pummeled. It was a handicapped aquathon. And the fillinator took that out. But a few people got absolutely pummeled in the swim. Uh, Then we jumped on our bikes and we rode. Uh, we ended up riding 200 kilometres um, with a 3,500 metres elevation going over the Col de Murray Blanc. The, the actual ride distance was, I can't 
like 175 or 173. So we had to tack on to get to 200. Ooh. The 12-hour rule was coming into play, Bevan. Oh, no. I finished with literally maybe one or two minutes spare. It was an uphill finish as well. Oh, and so really? Looking, and my Garmin was running out of battery. So I was looking at my Garmin. It had gone into sleep mode, which goes, the screen goes blank. But you can still record. You can still record. And I was sort of just clicking it every so often just to see. And I got to 199.6. thought, right, I think I'm going to make it. I think I'm going to have about one or two minutes to spare because you can only train for 12 hours in a day to get your points. I went to click it the last time. And it was 199.8. Went to click it again. Dead. Oh, no. (laughs) So I did get it in, but my watch, I think, recorded 199.9. And the irony was not lost on me because that morning I had said to everybody, 199.9 is not 200. (laughs) You don't get the points. So did you get the point? I I awarded myself the points. Oh, really? So Mr. On the Boss Pool Rank? And the, the other irony was the person who... Uh, the, the reason why we have a 12-hour rule, Seth, who was on this camp, if, uh, returning He did like a 23-hour day, didn't he? Yeah, something like something. So he, he was riding with me as well. And so... Oh, uh, so he had it. He, uh, he was the cause that we could uh, we had to be finished by whatever it was, 6, 6.14, we had to be done by. So that was an awesome opening day. The Col de Marie Blanc is an extremely difficult, uh, one of the steepest climbs we did on the on the tour. Very, very steep, but very cool. Uh, and that took us to a place called Oulbon, which is at uh, the start of the Col d'Obisque. So day two was our massive day in the mountains. And if you hadn't seen uh, the week we were over there, there was a heat wave going through. And holy crap, it got pretty hot uh, really? for the next few days. Uh, we did four th- over 4,100 metres of elevation. If that doesn't mean much to you, it basically means we were climbing or going up and downhill all day. Uh, so 154 kilometres, I think, took you know probably eight hours ride time in terms of that's so actually riding, not including yep. the stops. So we went over the Col d'Obisque, um, the Col de Salor, the Tourmalet, the Aspan and the Perisord. Awesome day. Day three, we're in a place called Luchon. We went out and did this awesome two-hour sort of mixture of road running and trail running up to this uh, beautiful lake. A bit of walking involved there. And then we, uh, this was the hottest day of the camp. Uh, it got up to like 41, 42 degrees. Really? It was mental. And how long were you out there for? Luckily, it was... We all kind of laughed about it. This was one of our easy days on the camp. It was just sort of six or seven hours training. <laughs> uh, luckily, it was more of a bit of a end up being a swim day for me. We biked down to this lake and swam three k. And the fillinator was sitting there and goes, "I don't know if I want to do any more biking. Should we just do an extra point and do another swim?" So we jumped back in the lake and did another three k swim. Oh, nice! Biked up As the valley. And the th- cool thing with this ride was. We had a tailwind down the valley to the lake, and then the winds changed where this place is, and then we had a tailwind back up the valley. But when we biked down from the swim, uh, it was on top of this mountain, a small coal. We biked down to, to get back to the valley. I shit you not, it's the hottest weather I think I've ever been in my life. Wow. Uh, you're coming down, and I've experienced this in Kona before, you're sort of coming down the hill, and it's like a, a hairdryer blowing in your face, but this was taking it to another level. My drink bottle had gone from being cold within about 15 minutes to be pretty much undrinkable it was that wow. hot uh it was what were you like at the end of that day luckily we only had to bike 26 k's back to the hotel and then just carked out okay nice. Uh, so that was all good day four we went to went into spain so it was epic camp france we went to spain so lucian to sort uh and we did a guess your time 10k 
completely cocked that up myself. What'd you guess? Well, I, I was woke up that morning, my legs were sore. I was like, oh, this isn't going to be pretty. So I downgraded my, my guess from being a three-point run, which I had to do a 37.50 to get three points. So I said, uh, I think I, and I had to do 37.50, 39.50 to get two points. So it's not crazy fast, but we were pretty tired. And went out, and, but you, you did it without a watch. Yeah. And so I did 39.50, or something like that. And what did you predict? 39. Uh, I predicted a little bit quicker than that, but what screwed me is I had to do under 39.50 to get my points. Oh. So I was two, two or three seconds off. Was not happy, so oh. I bombed out on a point there. Oh. Uh, biked over to Spain. Very cool. Went over um, some big big climbs, uh, the, Court de pa- the, the Col de Portolan and the Puerto de la Bonaglia. And then uh, did a little swim. Next day, we went over to Andorra. Andorra is an interesting place because what happens when you go into Andorra is you lose cell phone reception. Oh, nice. And so Andorra's only got one telecom company. talk to each other. Well, no, the problem is you're trying to nav- uh, navigate and, if oh. and nobody can contact you if you get lost uh, because you haven't got any cell phone reception. So a bit of stress? So it was a bit Did of anybody st- get lost? Well, Phil and Ada, <laughs> got a little, <laughs> Phil and Ada struggled a little bit on that day. Um, but what we did before that ride, and this was the highlight for some people, was that we did an elimination race based off handicaps. So we started off, we had a, a 500 metre stretch down by the r- river and you would start off in handicap order. So I was the last to start. First person maybe got 30 or 40 seconds advantage and then most people were sort of 15 seconds. So you're basically running as hard as you can for 500 metres trying not to be the last one to finish. Okay, nice. And then as soon as the last person crossed the line, boom, you go again. So the first person leaves. So it's a series of repeats just trying not to be the last person. It was pretty intense, very intense. I got eliminated sort of mid- midway through. But wait through. a second, so do you do the handicap on each start? Each, each 500 metres you, you start again. So for example... If, if I was running against you, you let's say you were 10, sec- 10 seconds in front of me, you would go 10 seconds in front of me, I've got to try to beat you to the, to yep. the line, uh, and whoever's last, they're out, and then the person who's the slowest, boom, they're away again, there's yep. like a five okay, seconds. So you get handicapped every time, okay, yep, every yep. time you get handicapped, so one That's person, quite, yeah. it, was, it was very intense, and there was quite a few sprint finishes, then did the same Who thing. won it? Uh, David Locke won it, and David so he Locke. was one of the slower runners, certainly not the slowest. But uh, you're going to hear how his tactics on that later on. Yep. Uh, and then we did the same thing in the pool, but we did it over 100 metres. Oh. It's a lot harder in the pool because you can't see what's going on. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. And so I was by far the strongest swimmer. It's all right to make up this insane amount of time, but you can make it up really, really quickly towards the end. And again, uh, very, very So did you take it swim? No, I think I got maybe fourth or fifth. But it was proper max effort stuff. and Because that's a good thing about it. If it's right handicap, everyone's going to max effort, aren't they? Yeah. And it was we had a lot of very, very close finishes. And then the last one, which wasn't handicapped, uh, was an elimination bike right up a hill. Okay. So the first cold. And we had Ollie went out. Ollie missed a sausage Jenna. Went out and put 1K markings on the hill. Yep. And every 1K, uh, somebody get eliminated. And then you had to regroup. And there was all sorts of different tactics going on. Uh, and the final pairing came down to me and Terry. And it was a flatter part of the mountain. And he, he cooked me on the, on the last uh, little stretch. Got on Terry. So, and then the next day we went to Andorra. Uh, we were in Andorra. Strange old place. The place we were staying at was like being on a cruise ship. It was music around. You know, it was weird. Did the old 100 100s. Uh, had George keep me company on that actually went quite easily and then we went off and did a, a big uh, 
hike in the mountains for two hours. It was supposed to be a run, but it ended up being a walk. Pretty went, steep. Yeah, very, very steep. It's stunning. Uh, and then we biked the next day from Andorra to Prades. Uh, if anybody saw the stuff on Facebook, we had, you know, nine days of insanely hot very very hot weather uh, and then we one day where it was shiza and it just so happened that that happened on the day where we were going over the highest pass it was over 2400 meters uh, it rained from you know probably about 30 seconds into the ride oh, really? and did not stop for most of the ride towards the end it, it stopped a little bit uh, but far out I told people to bring winter gear and thank god I listened to my own advice I had five layers of clothing on had the winter gloves the beanie Every single so it was cold as well, was it? It was freezing. <sighs> uh, and only there was only four of us that ended up surviving. Everybody else was in the van because it was... Oh, that, really? Yeah. Just it wasn't necessarily they were being soft cocks. Uh, it was, like it was they didn't have the right clothing to actually make the descent. Yep. So when you're cold and completely soaked to the skin and then you would descend for maybe 30 to 40 minutes, it's, uh, it's not friendly. So I did that, ended up tacking on to 210 kilometres and then uh, the Philinator and I uh, jumped off the bikes and did ten, uh, the, there's a bonus set, you can do seven times one kilometre um, hard and the sort of times attached to that yep. and didn't do a very smart course selection, I thought it was a flat road, did the first K and I had to be doing, I was aiming to be under 3.45 per K I had to do to get three points yep. did the first one in like 3.36 or something oh but quick mate and I, and where's your pacing no, and I was going well this isn't good and then we did the second one and it was we had no chance uh. it was like about a 12 to 13 metre drop that I hadn't accounted for and that made a massive difference uh. So I ended up dropping down to the two-point swim there. So from Prades, which was uh, close to the Med, we went and did an aquathon, rode to the Mediterranean and did another race there. And then the next day went Prades to Aixley-Thurms, which was the highlight of the camp for me. Went over these two amazing passes with no traffic called the Col de Jao and the Port de Palieris. If you ever get a chance to do those two climbs, it was awesome. Did a little run and a swim, and then the last day we did a triathlon in Aixley-Thurms. Probably the big things that were different about this camp was we had a handicapping system so previously if you were the fastest you could kind of just cane everybody into submission yep. um, this time around I basically got everybody's 10k times for running 400 meter swim times and bike power and were people pretty, pretty accurate it was pretty good yeah no it was pretty good the problem with those systems is you get one person who just it, as long as the people put the effort in that it was pretty accurate okay. if, if you decided not to go hard then you're going to yeah, get no. absolutely smart no but then some people give themselves a handicap which gives them an advantage mm. yeah no it, it ended up being pretty Good. accurate uh, the other big difference with this camp is hard running you know I counted we did 6 out of the 10 days it was proper oh, race really? effort running yeah because the camps I did we didn't do we did two or three hard runs and yeah. it was more just 10k a day this was pretty, and one long run yeah no, this was pretty hard and also because of the handicap system you kind of had to keep the pressure on all the time so that took a lot of toll out of my legs especially uh, and probably most others um, we had KOMs or, or a TT race pretty much 8 out of the 10 days so again you're biking hard every day and generally you know there was some, some hard swimming as well we had the heat wave coming through and uh, as well as the cold day that a lot of people are going to mention in the interviews so who took the jerseys? Who took the jerseys? Uh, Seth took out the yellow jersey uh, he was not the fastest athlete on the camp um, he was probably or maybe fourth or something like that I'd say yep. but he out-trained everybody so he did the most volume and he consistently put in extremely high efforts in terms of percentage of FTP okay. uh, or closest to his times and 
Never had this happen before. His bike didn't turn up in the entire camp. So it didn't really? arrive. And it, I don't, I don't I have, I've got to catch up with him to see if it's actually turned up. So what happened? Like, well, apparently his multi-sport have a fleet of bikes oh, um, and so stuff. he had to use one of their bikes which ended up working out well as it, it was a good bike but it's still not your own bike uh, but just bizarre they're like don't know where your bike is wow. <laughs> don't know where it is was it insured? Um, yeah you'll get insurance on it but it's like how do you lose an item which is tagged and so the bike never turned up yeah so today's interviews, we're going to spread the um, interviews of all the camp athletes over the next few weeks. First up, you're going to hear from uh, good old Mr. Sausage, Ollie Jenner, and I did this interview pre-camp. Uh, you're going to secondly hear from Chrissy McKinlay, who I did do a pre-camp interview, but she took out the King of the Mountains jersey because she oh, just punished stuff. herself, and so she was the slowest athlete on the camp. What did you do on FTP? Based on FTP, but she... And, and her FTP was legit because she did testing in Christchurch um, and she just buried herself on, on all the other KOMs. It wasn't, yeah, she just drilled it. Uh, so. I love that. I love that. Because you know, like in our running group, we do this really cool 10K race. It's a three lap around the hills. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, the fastest person isn't always the person who puts the most effort in. Mm-hmm. Not saying the fastest people don't push hard, but we've got some runners in our group who aren't. You know, quite slow runners, but man, they just can dig deep. Mm. You know, and that's what's cool with the bike. You can actually measure effort. Yeah. Uh, whereas a running, you really can't. Mm. Um, well, not at this stage. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a great idea. Grind the ground out the victory there, and then you're going to hear from Pete Thorthaus, uh, and I interviewed him the second to last day, I think it was. And then finally, um, you're going to hear from David Locke, and I actually did that interview in the van on the way to the airport. So, uh, on based on camp completion. I was not driving. Good. Uh, so you're going to hear from a variety of athletes at different stages during the camp over the next couple of weeks. So that's this week's. Okay, rock and roll. Okay, interview number three, and we still haven't started the camp. Uh, this time we have uh, Mr. Sausage, Ollie Jenner, who's uh, back again for a bit more support action. So welcome back, Ollie, and uh, good to see you. Yeah, good to be back. What's your, um, for you, you know, what's, uh, I'll be talking to all the athletes and stuff, what their motivation is uh, to be here, but for you, you, you say whenever I've got a camp on, you always seem to be available. So what's, what's in it for you? Oh, I enjoy it. It's always great to get away and um, work with athletes again in uh, sort of close proximity. See everyone push themselves. So it's good fun. So if if put, try to put yourself on the other side of the the fence here. If, if you were an athlete and you were, you were the day before the camp, um, what what are the sort of things you'd be thinking about? Uh, the, the highest priority for you in terms of getting through the camp, uh, keeping yourself in in one piece, uh, nutrition, anything. If you were on the other side, what, what would you be thinking about? Um, yeah, I'll be going into it with a bit of a, a plan as to what my goals are for the camp, what I'd be looking to achieve, and trying not to smash myself on the first couple of days. But yeah, hydration levels, keeping those up, um, taking uh, yeah, taking every uh, every step to stretch off and get nice and loose before I start. Um, now you've. I don't know how much time you've spent in the Pyrenees, but you know, in terms of the things that you're looking forward to, in terms uh, again, if you were on the athlete side of it, you know, what what do you think are going to be some of the highlights for us during the next sort of ten to twelve days? Um, the thing I'm really looking forward to this camp is with the new points uh, system, seeing athletes that perhaps wouldn't have been able to compete previously for yellow jerseys, seeing them stand a chance of uh, of taking it. Uh, and from a massage point of view, you know, we, we were with you a few weeks ago in Kona. Um, what's the difference here? I mean, it's fairly obvious, but but what are you kind of, what's your sort of main role as we're going through the next two weeks in terms of uh, what you kind of see from athletes? And, and maybe as, as you go through the camp, how does that change? 
think I'm here for emotional support <laughs> rather than massage. I think uh, people are going to be pretty smoked after Monday is the big day, isn't it? Where uh, I think three coals aren't enough. It's going to be five, isn't it? And yeah. uh, 4,700 metres of uh, vertical ascent. It's going to be a pretty big day, a uh, pretty long day out there. Yeah. I think a few people last night were talking it up as the new uh, coldies around day from last Epic Camp. Yeah. Um, and do you find that as you get further into the camp, that when you're doing massage, you've hardly got to touch people's legs, or do, they, do their bodies change in terms of the way that you massage people? Yeah, it will change slightly. I think they'll, they'll get a little bit more sensitive to it, but I'm not taking it easy on them. Separate <laughs> <laughs> <Sepic> camp. <laughs> we're not those soft tour France riders. They're only doing two coals today. We're, we're, going, we're going hardcore. Um, what else? Uh, we got. We just got to give one one of our listeners a little bit of grief. Um, uh, Kylie Cox. Ollie was telling me this morning at breakfast that uh, the nickname, the original nickname that Bevan came up with, is rubbish, eh? Yeah, I'm not happy with that. That's not. I'm not calling her that. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we won't announce what Ollie's nickname for Kylie is here. We'll keep that uh, amongst yeah. us. Um, what else? Uh, what, what have you done between camps? I guess you know you've only got a small turnaround. So what's what's a priority for you between camps? Yeah, I've been back to work, which is uh, a bit of a shock to the system, but no, I've uh, had a lot of patients to fit in in between camps. Um, also, I do uh, the drugs testing for UK anti-doping, so that's been pretty busy in the last couple of weeks because football season's about to kick off again. Yeah. So pre-season training's re- restarted, so I've been at lo- lots of different clubs uh, testing new players. Fantastic. Awesome. That's Mr. Sausage. He's, we'll talk to him during the camp because he's uh, he's your sideline eyes. You'll be hearing from the athletes, but it's also really nice to observe uh, from the outside what we're all going through and uh, gives us a slightly different perspective. So we'll hear from Ollie a couple of times during the week. So thanks for your time, Ollie. Cheers, John. Okay. Uh, we. Uh, I'm glad I did lots of several pre-camp and day one interviews because it's now the second last day. We've just finished the second last day and this is the first one I've done since then. So the interviews you're going to hear coming up, uh, if people sound a little bit tired, it's because they are. It's not because they're not enthusiastic, and uh, and I'm a little tired myself. So uh, I'm going to try to get around to all the campers and uh, just get their feelings about the camp, how the, what they enjoyed, what they didn't enjoy. Um, and so first up, we've got the... King of the Mountains champion because that rounded out today with uh, a couple of climbs. We rode from a place called Prades, which is near the Mediterranean, uh, to a place called Aixley Thurms. And for most of us, or no, for many of us, uh, it was the most scenic and uh, most awesome ride of the camp. Uh, we had a KOM on the first climb we did, which was the Col de Jao. We only did half of it as a um, KOM, which was still... Uh, about 14 kilometres or so which was plenty and then we came over a whole bunch of other climbs and then one big granddaddy before we had an amazing descent down to Aixley Therms. So what we changed up with the KOM this year was it was all based, um, not all, most of them were based off uh, your percentage of FTP so that meant everybody was in the game and whether you're the slowest in the group, whether you're the fastest in the group, uh, if you put the effort in then you were going to get the get the points and so came out on top our only female on the camp was the grinder Chrissy McKinley so well done grinder you're pretty happy about that I stoked because I buried myself up that climb this morning and that ruined the rest of my ride really because I was absolutely blown to bits especially on that last climb which is a good lesson in why you should always pace yourself for endurance events well, when you when you've there's only one objective of the day is to get a jersey, uh, then I think you kind of probably did the right thing. Um, so tell us about what was what was your plans? I think I interviewed before you before the camp. Tell us what your plans were before the camp, and if it kind of panned out uh, how you expected. 
I just wanted to get through it. I mean, I know that because I'm the slowest, I, I, I know I'm not always going to get camp completion, given that my swimming's shit and all that. Um, but I just always aim to do the best I can. I, I did cave. I, I was a little affected by the extremes of the weather because there was one day where it was like 40 odd degrees and I just capitulated. It was an easier day for us because it had been really hot the day before. So I kind of capitulated in the heat that day. And then two days later, we're in Andorra climbing. It was like six degrees, torrential rain, thunder. It was absolutely freezing. So me and half of the other campers also bailed that day and got in the van. So I was a little disappointed in myself for that. But I, I think I did make the right call on the, the day. Cause I, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with how I performed. I outperformed myself on the climbing. That's one for sure. Because I never thought I'd even been with a chance on the... KOM or anything but once you get a sniff of the jersey mm-hmm. it's amazing how motivating that is and because it was, it was it was originally it was about a three or four horse race and then it came down to a two horse race between yourself and and George and unfortunately for him you have one bad day is all it takes and he was out of the game he had one bad day on the cold day and but like you know if you ever watched Tour de France you can't have a bad day and he had a bad day which meant he was out of the running it was going to be very close regardless um so maybe give people a bit of a, an idea on on what sort of percentage you were hitting when you were doing these climbs and and roughly how long um a number of them were taking you to get up well the, the one we did in the first day was the Col de Marie Blanc which I think it was only about was it eight k's long nine k's long but it was steep as hell at the top it was about 14 15 percent in sections um a lot of people blew up on that mm. <laughs> the first day um George just beat me by about 0.1 of a percent so I did about 88 percent FTP for that he must have done just a little bit more um I think I won the, the second day was the tourmaline was yeah, our KOM yeah. I won that I wasn't even trying to win that that day. I just I just ground it, grounded by name, grounded by nature, as my blog said. I just ground that one out. I think it also helps because I have the biggest gearing on the camp. Everyone's got compacts, 50, 34s, and I have a semi-compact. So I was kind of a bit forced to actually grind, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> which does sometimes help the power output. Um, so I won the tourmalade. I can't remember what percent I did for that. It was 80, was there something? I think it was about eight, uh, low 80s or 80-ish, yeah. That is a 17k climb right enough, and it was quite hot that day. What was our KOM after that? Was that then we had another KOM on that day, which was the Perry Sword. Oh, yeah. I think he beat me on the Perry Sword. I think I can't... I, I was dead by then with the heat, so I, I think I only did about 76% then. The next KOM was Zandora, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. The cold day. Yes. Yeah, so this was up the Port de Villara, which is the highest paved road in the Pyrenees, I think. Oh. So it goes up to 2,400 metres, and it was just freezing. And we we start in a wee town, I can't remember what it was called. All I remember is thunder and rain from that day. And it was about 5, 5.5% mm-hmm. for about 16 k's. Mm-hmm. I was just so cold at the bottom when I started, so I thought, I'm just going to ride as hard as I can to actually get warm. There was one of those days where you weren't even getting that warm climbing, and I just... I was freezing cold, but my legs felt really good, probably because I'd been in the van like two days before and with the heat, I don't know, um, and that was 90% of FTP for 16.5k, so I just I just felt really good and I just rode really hard and reasonably big gear. It pays to do your squats at the gym, that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> and then today, I was dead set to win this today. So I just went gangbusters as soon as I got to Mossy, which was the wee medieval town where we started the climb. But John had put an extra twist to it today. That we just had to look at the map. We had to guess your power output. So you weren't allowed to look at your Garmin screen with power on it. So I just had to go by feel, and it was 13 k's long. 
and I just buried myself. Um, I kept thinking about that stupid Lance Armstrong quote about paying his temporary prizes forever. And I don't know why that was in my head. It's a bit gay, but anyway. Um, and I just went as hard as I could. And no idea what my power output was. But I was absolutely rinsed when I got to the top. And I was kind of smashed for the rest of the ride today. But it was worth it since I got the thing. And I ended up at 96% of FTP. So I did my hill FTP is 205 watts. And I did 190. The climb took me 59 minutes. And I had 197 watts for that. So I was really quite pleased. Sterling effort. All I was able to eke out a couple of times was in the mid-80s, was about as good as I could uh, get. When Chrissy's talking about the heat, um, I'm not sure when these interviews will come out, but basically the first seven days of the camp were pretty much a heat wave through Europe. We were getting temperatures um, always sort of in the mid-30 degrees centigrade, sometimes up to 40. Some of the highest, I think somebody said they saw was 43. Um, you know, Garmin sometimes don't lie, but it was bloody hot. Uh, and the cold day was cold, uh, very cold, and not a great deal of fun. So other than um, taking out the KOMs, maybe some of your highlights from the camp and, and lowlights? It highlights, we've done, um, it feels like we've done more swimming and running than we did on the Alps one. And to be honest, like, apparently, I didn't realise there was an epic camp rule that you weren't allowed pool boys and yes. stuff like that. So John ran me across the knuckles for that. But I've actually been really, I've actually really enjoyed the swimming. Like that day we did, you did, you guys did your hundred hundreds and we were in that really nice pool in Andorra. Because swimming just feels so good when you've been riding a lot. Mm. Just feels, the body just feels so good. And our lake swims have been fun. I've been running like 10k every day. I mean, I think I've probably had the biggest run week I've had for ages, and it's just been really enjoyable to. I mean, it's still bike heavy, but it feels a bit less bike heavy than the Alps was. And probably one big difference that I've noticed on this camp is a lot more hard running, and everybody's had to run hard because all the races have been handicapped. So uh, yeah. that makes your power numbers even more impressive. Yeah, but it's just it's fun, but and it's such a good group of people. Everyone's very supportive of each other. I mean, not that I see all you fast ones very often in the distance, but it's a really good group. Not that Ep the Alps wasn't a good group, but this is a real, really good group of people, and it's it's been really fun, and everyone's very encouraging towards each other. Even though all you boys have been a bit trying to get the yellow and whatever, but you're all still, it's all still kind of... It's all still friendly. Yeah, it's friendly. It's fun. Um... Anything else you know that you can think of about the week that uh, either you really enjoyed, or, um, or or maybe anything that was sort of different to what you expected in terms of so you've done some big climbs before, so I guess you knew that was coming. But anything that kind of surprised you at all? Maybe the amount of carbohydrate you're able to eat this week. <laughs> Jesus, bread and croissant addiction. That'll be having to stop next week when I get home. Um, no, we stayed in some really lovely places again. All the buffet food, it's just horrendous when there's just food everywhere, <laughs> breakfast and dinner. Um, but I guess you need the calories, I suppose. The weird, I like, I just thought Andorra was a weird kind of place. It was like being on a cruise ship. Yeah, there was like, there's, as soon as you cross the border, like nobody had any cell phone coverage. And the hotel was this, it was grand, it was a really nice hotel and the food was nice. But it was a bit weird, these weird doll things in the dining room. It was a bit like we'd step back in a... I don't. I just thought it was a strange place, and there's petrol stations everywhere because it's a tax haven, and and it was really busy. Like there's one kind of main road that climbs up to. We're staying in a place called Arinsal, which is near Ski Field, and just really busy. And it was just a wee bit weird. I thought like it was it was interesting to go there. I don't know if I'll go back to Indora again because that was where we got the crappy weather and everything. But it was just weird. Mm. I don't know. 
Oh, well done on a fantastic camp. Uh, pressure's off tomorrow. We've got our final day. We're doing a race and a bunch of uh, wacky sort of challenges. Um, but the pressure's off and there's no more KOMs, which I've got to say, when I was coming over that last climb today, I was like, really enjoyed this, but I've had enough of climbing. So uh, well done and uh, we'll hopefully see you at the next one and hopefully we can drag a few more females along to keep you company. Yes, well, thank you, John, and thanks for putting on a great camp again, as usual. It's been fabulously organised and enjoyable. Fantastic. Thanks very much. I love it when we have um, some of our athletes over here with uh, I Am Talk nicknames. We've got the Grinder, and now I've got uh, Pete Thor Thaus from Australia. So before we sort of crack into asking you a few questions about the camp, maybe just tell the audience, you know, where you're from and um, what you do for sort of a nine to five and maybe just a little bit of your triathlon background. Uh, well, from uh, Australia, a place called Wangaratta. Um, Where the hell is Wangaratta? Oh, it's uh, northeast Victoria, so if you know where Melbourne is and you drive uh, two and a half hours in the country, that's Wangaratta. What's the triathlon population of Wangaratta? Oh, there's a few people who have done Ironman, so I don't know, maybe a couple of dozen. Yeah, so yeah, they come and go, but yeah, it's, it's an alright place to train. And what's, what's your day job and your sort of triathlon background? Uh, day job, I'm a refrigeration mechanic for um, a maintenance company. I look after Coles supermarkets, so I've got about five supermarkets I look after on the border at Albury Wodonga. Um, for triathlon background, um, I've just ticked off number 11 Ironman recently, um, Ironman Austria, so um, just before the camp, a couple of weeks before it, so I've um, been in uh, Europe for probably the whole month now, so enjoying the whole thing but yeah and you, you've been a Kona qualifier yes um, last year and the year before um, scraped in at Bustleton with a roll down still did a 9 hour 30 which uh, I made myself with that um, happy to get a slot and the following year then actually qualified so um, yeah they were, they were just amazing Kona's just unreal place to to be but yeah I've ticked those boxes so um, yeah plenty other boxes to go and tick yeah. um, so you came on our road camp uh, I can't remember if it was last year it was last year yeah. um, what, what was your sort of motivation to come up come back over and do a full Monty Epic camp um, you guys have been talking about it f for a while and um, I was hoping to do it last year but you, you moved oh, it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I had to keep training and um, it's just it's it's going to a different country and experiencing I mean like the Tour de France I've watched when I was a kid and I used to be a road cyclist as well years ago um, so this kind of journey here to do the climbs and um, it's just kind of looking back as a kid and wanting to do them and and yeah for tourist thing as well and um, and not just walking around looking at stuff. You actually, you ride in the coals, and it, yeah, a lot of a lot of things, John. Yeah. What were your expectations? Because you probably listened to lots of the um, camp interviews. Um, so coming in, you know, what was your plan, and what were your expectations on how hard it was going to be? <laughs> I I didn't do a I didn't come prepared as much as I wanted to because of work and whatever, but. Um, I was hoping to like tick all the boxes and uh, and then do more, but 
after the second day I I melted down a fair bit <laughs> so I just went oh, I'm just gonna try to stick to the minimum at camp completion so so far so good one day to go so maybe, maybe try to rewind back to that first and second day so the first day was uh, really tough you know we went over a long day cold Murray Blanc um, and finished up the little way up the obese um, second day was a monster day through the mountains so you know we're quite a, we're another seven days on from there what what were you sort of thinking after day two you're just thinking holy shit how am I going to get through this what was going through your mind if you can remember well I think the the first day just getting that climb over and done with because mm. What, 14% mm. for 4Ks or something, it was just insane, there's people walking and yeah. <laughs> I'm just going, I, I thought I've done the training, I, I surprised myself, yeah, I got up that alright and then I thought, take one day at a time, the second day, man, that just dragged on, it just had to tick off every climb, yeah. go halfway through, uh, yeah, I made it yeah. and I was so tired the next couple of days yeah I just had to go to bed early and <laughs> what um, was, there, was there any particular climb that you were looking forward to the most and how did it kind of compare to your expectations you know so the big granddaddy was the Tourmalet um, but we did the Murray Blanc we did the Obisque we did uh, Perisord, Aspan etc you know those are all the quite of the quite famous ones was there any that you were really looking forward to and was it easier harder or kind of what you expected uh, look, John, I, I just took every day as it came and every climb. So every climb, I, I didn't have a favourite. I just I just took in whatever was, yeah, through the scenery and everything. So, um, uh, yeah. yeah, it's just the climb, sorry. Yeah. That's right. What was... Um uh, what was the worst moment? You know, what, what did, where, where were you at rock bottom in terms of having to give yourself an uppercut to, to keep yourself moving? <laughs> I think I know the answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> was it two or three days ago? Two days. Uh, when it just pounded down rain and um, I wasn't feeling great anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, yeah, when, when it was stormy and... Um, we got. I still ticked the boxes to climb those two climbs, so I was pretty happy. You still got to see a lot, mm. even though fog rolled in and out. And mm. um, so, I mean, even though it was a low, it still was. I still turned around and made it a positive, because yeah, it's yeah. I don't usually train in that kind of stuff. <laughs> Nor do I. When I caught Pete on this uh, second climb, when it was absolutely pissing down, it was absolutely freezing. We'd come off this descent, and I'd basically told myself uh, about five minutes before I'd caught you, I said, "I'm getting in the van at the top uh, because I just couldn't feel anything." And um, and I came past Pete. I said, "Just get to the top, and we can get in the van." Um, so that yeah, that was a rough day. Then yeah, um, so today we've got one day to go. Um, um, yesterday we did uh, sort of a, 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 a triathlon but it was kind of broken up a little bit. We did an aquathon and then we did a, um, followed by a, a bike ride which included a 13k time trial and it was based off handicaps. And uh, tell us about your day when we had this race yesterday. Um, yeah, I woke up pretty fresh and thought I'll see how I go with this this little um, aquathon first. And I mean, okay swim. I got out okay and then I uh, just felt good on the run and just hammered it.
as uh, as much as I could and I was just yeah full stick until I'll just go as hard as I can until I blow and um, I kind of managed to keep it all together and and uh, finished it off all right. It was bloody impressive because I was running along I was probably mid-table and uh, and I'm thinking oh Ben's in first uh, okay there's no way I'm going to catch him there's a few people up there and then I come to turn for my first, my last lap and Pete's standing on the bloody sideline and he got a lap on me but then you opened up another can of whoop ass on the bike as well. Oh uh, well it's kind of the thing because a road bike brought me back to like when I was a kid and there's time trials and stuff and yeah, I'm, I'm going for this. I've got a tailwind like everyone else and yeah. just uh, went for it. Yeah, I, I think I averaged 42.3 or something. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, really hammered it. Yeah, I think you're the only person, who, in, at least in that time trial, most people seem to be going, come on, push it. Yeah, you're trying to motivate themselves to push it, but you were the opposite. You had to tell yourself to slow down. Uh, yeah, there was a couple of hills. You could see the hills come up and I thought, I've got to back off, otherwise I'll just pop. So um, yeah, you, I guess like a like a mini a, a sprint triathlon, yeah, you got to kind of maintain, it. Uh, yeah, so you don't blow up and get to the finish. But yeah, just get the speed where you can down and corners and yeah. that kind of thing. But yeah, I was pretty happy with that day. Yeah, yeah, the red the red jersey, which was awesome. Um, so finally, you know. Uh, if people are out there, sort of have thought about this camp, you know, you've you've done, you know, ten of the eleven days now. Um, what you know, what what have you kind of learned about yourself, and what have you sort of, other than doing the coals that you wanted to do as a kid, you know, is it sort of been what you expected, or was it was it quite different? Um, I didn't know what to expect, John. Really, mm. when I came, turned up. I'd never been to France, so that was the first and. Um, I yeah, I would recommend it to anyone. It, um, what I got out of it, um, I think pushing yourself through those days, like second or third day, I was stuffed. Mm. I thought, how am I going to go? And then I've just I picked up. I gave myself rest, and I probably didn't eat enough food at, through those first few days. So then I just yeah, hooked in, and it's, I seemed to come around. The legs picked up, and. Mm. Um, so yeah, mentally pushing yourself a bit through and not looking at what you got to come up. Yeah, the next few days helps as well. You just go turn up, and go okay. I'm going to do this, tick that off. Um, so yeah, it has it has changed me. So yeah, excellent. It's been fantastic having you here. So uh, we look forward to seeing you another one one day. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> I'll talk to the wife first. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Okay, Epic Camp is uh, done and dusted and uh, the, start of the start of the camp I wanted to make sure I got around everybody either before the camp or during the camp uh, or after the camp and we are now after the camp we're driving to Toulouse Airport to drop the final campers off and if we sound a little bit fatigued it's because we are um, so we finished our final day with a triathlon you heard some of the interviews yesterday um, then did a couple of activities after that one of them was a press-up competition uh, there was some dubious um, technique going on during that there was also a 
uh, a plank competition and then we did a wall sit and I'm not sure if we did any interviews after that or not but the, the wall sit was absolutely atrocious uh, and a very sure sign that our legs are all totally smoked uh, and it's amazing the day after when you get up uh, today everybody is the walking dead and it's just that mindset when you change from knowing you've got to get up to do a whole bunch of training and, and be in the game to the next day you get up and you haven't got anything to do and the fatigue will really kick in today and it's kicked in already I've just woken up from a little snooze on the drive to Toulouse. Um, so the final camper I haven't got round to yet is David Locke from Australia uh, and Dave maybe tell us a little bit about yourself because you're fairly fairly late to the try game uh, I think you said to me when we were doing a 400 IM at the pool yesterday that you didn't start swimming till you were 40 or something like that so for an Australian that's odd first um, but maybe tell us a little bit about yourself where you're from and, and maybe your background into triathlon. Okay. So I'm from uh, the northern beaches in uh, Sydney in Monavale. Uh, I came into triathlon through a work function at the age of 35 um, and yet you're very correct in saying that I came into swimming late because in the first triathlon I, I nearly drowned in Sydney Harbour so I, uh, I then promptly took up uh, swimming lessons to be able to uh, complete the leg next year without the, uh, the help of the paddleboard. Um, so yeah, very quickly bitten you know, by, the, uh, by the triathlon bug and uh, progressed from sprint you know, distances through to Ironman where I've probably spent the, the bulk of the, the last 10 years. Uh, what, what was, you, you came on the road camp um, two years ago and so what was your, and you probably listened to the shows, what was your motivation to come to this camp? I'd obviously through listening to the shows I'd heard, you know, how, uh, how hard the camps were and how, how much the, you know, the athletes were, were pushed you know to their limits so to speak and I really yeah I, I just love a challenge I, I think that you know anything that I I think that I can't do is just something that I have to do. <laughs> now um, we had a couple it was, it was Glenn, uh, Glenn Osmond uh, who I interviewed yesterday he had an epic day when we went into Andorra and he rolled in at about uh, nine o'clock or something like that uh, your epic day was when we uh, was sort of our queen stage which was day two when we went from uh, sort of a little bit up the cold obesque and we went over the the obesque we went over the salore went over the tourmalay um, the Span, I think it was, and the Perry Sword it was, it was a ginormous day. It was uh, 154 kilometres with uh, well over 4,000 metres of climbing, I think. Uh, so, you know, it was a proper full on Tour de France stage. Started at, I think, 8 in the morning or 8.30, uh, and I think you rolled in at a similar sort of time at 9 o'clock when we were, or 9.30, even finishing dinner. So, maybe talk us through that day and, um, and how you managed to get through it. Well, the, the the day started quite well, and I just paced myself because it was it was actually quite a warm day, uh, so I was just being conscious that I didn't want to you know burn too many matches on on the early climbs, uh, and I'd sort of gotten over the over the uh, the tourmalay about halfway through the day. Um, we're fortunate enough to have the the, uh, the support crew up there to give us some lunch, so I just took full advantage of that, uh, and then coming down the. Uh, from the uh, Tourmalet up to the to the next climb, 
I got a flat midway through, so I, I, I sort of stopped and, and, and changed that. Um, and then, yeah, just it was hot. It was just so hot. I was just, mate, I was digging for every pedal stroke up, up the, uh, the next two climbs. And I uh, was quite fatigued and got to the point where, you know, we were almost delirious. Uh, on, on the last climb, uh, I took, uh, because the, the road signs seemed so similar, we were, we were actually climbing the Perisord and I saw uh, another coal. Where it's I think it was the right. Perimorans or something like Perigides or something, which is a, it goes right up to the top. It said, yeah, summit, you know, this way. And I thought, well, obviously we have to do that, but we didn't have to do that. So <laughs> I ended up digging another 5K up that to the top where I was just in absolute disrepair. Uh, <laughs> But fortunately, uh, our, our support crew, uh, through the, the tracking app, could see where I was and, and gave me a call and said, mate, you're, uh, you're probably 5k from where you need to be or should have been, um, just go down. So then I stupidly uh, opened up Google Maps because my Garmin had gone flat um, and typed in our hotel and it took me the most direct route, which was back down the 5k that I'd been which was then another 3k climb up to the top of the other one. So uh, by the time I got to the top of the last yeah, descent uh, and was met by uh, one of the, one of our our guides to sort of make sure I didn't get lost any further because it might have been a midnight effort. Um, yeah, I just rolled down the, the last hill into the uh, into the hotel and had a bit of dinner. But I was definitely I was ruined. The next day I was ruined. We had luckily we had a uh, it was only a a short ride to the lake, 26k to the lake for a 3k swim, and then a, and a, a 26k back. If it had been any more than that, I think I would have probably just stayed in bed that day. <laughs> <laughs> so um, obviously the next day that was that was tough. But you know, talk us through the the rest of the camp and um, and, and sort of your strategy. Maybe once you're a couple of days in, you know, you, you, they were big big days. Um, did you change your your game plan at all from from there on in, or were you just sort of taking it day by day? Well, the strange thing was that I thought, you know, following that day, I, you know, I sort of recovered the next day. And one of the comments that uh, that you put up was, look, you know, whilst everyone's tired, you know, it doesn't mean you sort of had to back off. So well, the next morning we had, I think, the 10K race, um, that, which was the day after the lake, and I was feeling a bit fresher. So I actually ended up giving it to myself a bit on the 10K race, and I was surprised how well I responded. Um, so then I thought, look, you know, if we can we can push a little bit. I probably I, I stayed somewhat reserved on on the climbs, you know, um, just that I know that I'm, I, I can tend to just turn over. I can turn over a long day at a certain speed. Um, whereas if I try to, uh, I think you know, if, if if my FTP fluctuates too much, so not my FTP, if my uh, normalised power um, is is high. Uh, it tends to to knock me out for you know for a bit. So I just tried to keep it as smooth as I could. Tried to stay on top of the hydration. Um, it's good that the uh, the crew, you know, kept kept the salt into me. Kept a lot of salt into me. Kept the sunscreen on. And when I was feeling good, I pushed. And when I was feeling like crap, I I just rode it out. Rode it out, hoping you know that I that I'd get to the end of it. One, uh, probably one of the most impressive parts of the camp was when you 
managed to hold on to take out the run stage in the eliminator triathlon. So that was where we, we um, you know, it was a staggered start and every 500 metres we'd eliminate the last person across the, the line. So it was basically 500 metre repeats pretty much all in uh, after, the, after the first one. So talk us through that and your sort of strategy and, and what you're thinking of going through that, uh, that event. It was it was so funny because I think it was it was a day I think after the 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 ten k time trial, so I thought look my legs are going to be toast here, uh, and we went down for these five hundred metre repeats and twelve of us started, and I thought I'm going to be out here in two because I'm just going to be absolutely cooked, and then there was a long, there was I suppose uh, one end was further from the trail because once you finished. You then had to go and complete your, your, you know, the balance of your run. I think we were doing about 7k total that morning. So each 500 repeat you did was basically off your 7k total. So I thought, at least if I finish the end closest to the trail, then I can just keep toddling down and finish off my run. So that was the first motivator. So uh, we got two out. And then the next one, I thought, I'm not going to finish up this end, so I'm going to make sure I, I make sure that I, I knew who I could run quicker than. Um, I just thought I've just got to make sure that I just keep that person on the shoulder or just in front of me and then I'll sprint them. So then we got to that, to the fourth one, uh, and we ran down and looked around and, and by that time I think there was, you know, four of us left and I looked and I thought, hang on, I've, I think I've got, I've, I've got these guys here. I've got, I've got their measure. Because Seth, Seth was absolutely caning himself. I just could not believe how hard he was giving it to himself and I thought, Mate, if he's doing that, if he's turning himself inside out like that, mate, you you can do this. So, yeah, we ended up at uh, three, and I just kept, uh, I let Seth go and sort of kept Teary within arm's length, and then I sprinted him on the line. And then the next one, it was just me and Seth on the line, and I looked at Seth, and Seth looked at me. (laughs) And then I just thought, I'm just going to go. And from from the go, I just went. I just went as hard as I could, and I think I had... 20 meters before you even got a before you even got a start and that was it he was just gone so it was pretty funny brilliant um so for you you know um i would imagine that was one of the one of the highlights but you know what were your favorite moments of the camp oh man there was so many just so many favorite moments i found um like the triathlon yesterday was good you know i think to be able to to um you know train so hard for 10 days and then just find enough at the end of it um and be encouraged through all of that with all the other guys i think that was exceptional and the climbs the climbs were just phenomenal and the assistance that we got all the way through you know we just had smiling happy people um and the food was good uh the whole thing was good I, i honestly can't I really can't find one particular moment. There was just too many. Fantastic. Uh, it was awesome, and we also had uh, your lovely wife here uh, assisting us, which was which was fantastic. So, uh, was she was she was she a motivator each day, or were you pretty much self-driven in terms of getting yourself out there? Well, she's listening to me, so yeah, of course she was a motivator. Yeah, no. fantastic. No, it was great to have you guys along, and um, hopefully see you at another one some stage. I'd love to come back. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Questions and answers. Ironically, the week that was Teresa Adams won Ironman Cairns, she signed up with the PWAG team 
along with the Ray Lutz, Marino, Van Helnecker, except for he's just retired, and Mark Polstead. They were sent through from good old John the Mountain Snail Hancock. Uh, just saying, because we're saying she really had no sponsors when she won the race. Yeah, and I was just finding that bizarre. And then, uh, lo and behold, she signed on with the PWAG team. So good on her. Good to see her getting some support. Okay, John, let's talk about the patrons. We have Matthew, the President Reagan. We've got um, How, now Brown Cow Dolphin. <laughs> And Robert Speedy G. Aruda. Aruda. If you want to be a patron of the show, go to www.imtalk.me. On there, you'll see become a patron. Click on that. Go through the process. You get a gift. You go to draw to come to the cone with the boys next year. Not this year, next year. Um, and just support us and what we're doing. Uh, Jombo also sponsors. Extreme Endurance. Your Arctic Buffer. And our patrons. And we've already said that. So if you want to get the show emailed to you, just um, go to www.imtalk.me. On the front page, down the bottom, put your information in there, and I just email that each, each week when I release the show. Also, if you want to get some coaching, go to coachjohnnewson.com. I'm interviewing on my podcast next week one of New Zealand's top sports psychologists, mm. so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so you can check that out on my podcast with James Owls' show next week. You can also email us content like Age Group of the Week, Call websites and other feedback at IamTaughtPodcast at gmail.com. John, you goss. Um, bloody people on the plane make me sick. Oh, did, wait, did you get more meals? Phil mentioned that to me just as I left. He said, remember to get your second meal. And the problem was, I had, I had lounge access uh, oh, so you ate twice. Too much. <laughs> so I had lounge access in London, and I came back via, when via you're London. London. Who, what, is it, what, what lounge are you in? Uh, was it, Sing- it was either the Star Alliance or Singapore. Oh, yeah. And then I had lounge access in LA so you as ate well. like a pig? I went too hard. <laughs> I went hard out in the lounges. And so as much as it was rolling through my head, got to have another meal, got to have another meal. <laughs> Couldn't do it. I was like, it had been an eating frenzy. Epic Camp was a friggin' eating frenzy, man. It was, I, was I, I kind of almost had to pull a few of the guys back a bit late in the camp to just, just chill it out. But you just, your metabolism is going nuts. Yep. And the food is so good. And there's like, there's buffets and it's, oh, stop it. <laughs> so I wasn't eating frenzy and I'm very conscious of not eating too much now that I'm back. Just, um, just on that. You know, you're a little bit older than maybe when I was doing hippocamp. When I was doing hippocamp, like 10, 12 years ago. Mm. What's it like now that you're a little bit older? Not not drastically different. Um, look, I think what you find with camps, and and I think I probably talked about this on one or two of the interviews today, it's just that mindset is you just pick yourself up every day. There's, no, yeah. there's not an option. It's like we're doing this today and you're going hard and we're all doing it together and feel like shit, well, you might just have to struggle through it, yep. but it's not an option. And then the day after the camp, I was KO'd, man. I was like, I, no, nothing's happening here. Yeah. I, I could hardly st- stand up. I was like just as absolutely smoked. But had the camp been one day longer probably would have just got on, got on with it and, and, and just got stuck in. And that's some of the key things you learn from, from the, the camp is you just get on with it. And if you feel like and, and that's what happens for your training going further down the track is if you feel a bit shit, you just got to get on with it. If you feel a bit shit in a race, you just got to get on with it. So there's, there's lots of cool things that came out of the camp. Um, had, a, had a great time. As I said, just um, caught a bit of a lurgy on the way back. So not too happy about that. But other than that, good to be back with the family. I was speaking to the girls at the gym actually, mm-hmm. and I was saying, "Oh, so the boys are away for two weeks, France, yeah, awesome trip." And, and I, it's a work trip. Work, yeah, oh, work trip was it? Work trip. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, and you girls often get something in reply, mm-hmm. you know, like they often go overseas. Mm-hmm. They went to New York, didn't they? Yeah. Yep. And I said, "What are they doing this time?" And they said, 
a day in Wellington. Yeah, and they got some flowers. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, Mr. Generous. Yeah, no, no, we, were, we were going for it. <laughs> so don't stir that pot, Bevan. It's okay, not, not a good pot to stir right now. Uh, so that's so it's all good. Good to be back. Although I did go to Brother. Oh, but you just went to Hawaii. So, Pick your brother up. What's you had, What's happening in your world, Bevan? I've been away for a month. I can't think of anything that really gossip about. I pulled my quad. Oh no! You know what? It's not that bad. Okay. Because I'm getting back into weights, as you could probably tell. Yeah, you're like. um, And I've been doing so. I did a session. I've, I've been doing. I basically never do squats. Like I do front squat and other squats twice a week. And the other day I thought I'm going to start getting deeper squats. So it's a real just good full range squats. So I did that. I went pretty light. And then I did some deep lunges. And then I did 30 second sprints on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. 10 seconds, 30 on, 30 off, but like max speed on a treadmill sprint. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the last set, I just stepped on the treadmill and my core was like, no, nah, screw you. <laughs> but yeah. you've done enough today. Yeah. So I pulled it. Or I pulled it, but it's it's in a two-week injury. So right. as bad as... It's no instructing either then. No, you can wing it. I've, I've been teaching. I can wing it. So you don't go that hard when you instruct? Oh, no, I always do. Yeah. yeah. But but no, in the last couple of days, I haven't been able... Well, on Sunday, I could hardly walk. But I was teaching the the grit, and the grit is basically you kind of spend half time walking around mm-hmm. people anyway, so it's a bit different. So Paul McQuad, other than that, uh, what's been happening over winter in Christchurch? We had no snow, mm-hmm. but now we have. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, writing a song, nice. Yeah, which I'll, I'll release to you guys soon. Which is gonna be number one, I reckon. Yeah. Um, and no, that's a bit of John. No goss. No really goss. disappointing. Mm. No. Oh well Nothing It's going to be a good week First round of the JD Duathlon series this weekend So I get back Straight into race Is it just J now? Where's D? It is just kind of J, J now But for historic you, I know you're listening Sharpen up Historic reasons We'll keep the D in there yeah. He'll be back one day Do you think he will? No Not in this cold weather No God no Okay John let's wrap it up I'm Russ I'm Indo Train hard Train smart Kia, Kia car. Car.